Buddy Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Soler, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Cheers, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast where we talk the territories. And as always, I am your host, Ray Russell. And this week, we're going to be joined by our guest co-host, Roman Gomez, going to return to the show. Roman been working, putting in some crazy hours at work. I'm glad he found some time to uh, come back to the show. We're going to continue on with UWF here in 1986, closing out the month of April, and we're going to kick off the month of May as well here this week as the fabulous Freebirds about to return to the Mid-South. But before we get going with the show, just a quick reminder that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast and our sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently closing out the year of 1987 in the WWF, heading into 1988. Will Hulk Hogan sell the WWF Championship to the evil million-dollar man Ted DiBiase? Or won't he? Find out in the next week or so here on the Grenade Show as we head into the year of 1988 in the World Wrestling Federation. You can also listen to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's Raw versus Nitro as we cover the entire history of the Monday Night War one week at a time. Almost through the first year of the ratings war, guys, as WCW has just recently began their reign of 83 weeks on top, thanks in part to the formation of the New World Order. New episodes coming soon for Monday Warfare. And last but not least, guys, as of November 1st, be on the lookout for our brand new podcast, The Wrestling Stoop, with wrestling legend Bob Roop. So many great wrestling stories Bob has to share from throughout his career. You don't want to miss the debut episode, again dropping this week, Wednesday, November 1st. It's The Wrestling Stoop with wrestling legend Bob Roop. Can't wait to get that one out there for the fans. And a couple more shows headed to the WrestleCopia Network in the next few weeks, maybe a month or so as well. So stay tuned for more details on those as the weeks progress here. And you can listen to all of those shows and more as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. Also, you can follow me on social media for all the latest goings-on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. I'm also constantly adding old-school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history over there on social media. And you guys can find me out there. You can follow me on Twitter, or now the lovely X, as Elon Musk has rebranded it. Either way, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on X at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me, Facebook.com slash wrestling grenade and while you're at it make sure you subscribe to my youtube channel youtube.com slash wrestling grenade uploading new footage all the time more than 500 videos and counting right now up at youtube and of course now would be a fantabulous time to become a wrestlecopia patron and you guys know by now i'm talking about that five dollar all access tier and you can find me over there at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia that address again patreon.com slash wrestle c-o-p-i-a getting back to that five dollar all access tier gets you all sorts of gifts for just five bucks including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes pages upon pages of show notes for every episode of the grenade 
Monday Warfare, and of course, the Regional Wrestling Podcast. Plus, you'll get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia, where you can listen days, and, and as the current patrons know, you can sometimes listen more than a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. This episode of Regional Wrestling, the first episode of the Wrestling Stoop with Bob Roop, both dropped one week early on Patreon. But there's still more gifts, guys. You'll also get remastered versions of the earliest episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality and also new content and conversation that was originally edited out of the initial broadcast, edited right back into the show. But that's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. Just added 13 new digital downloads this past week, mostly focusing on the years of 1976 and 1983 in the history of professional wrestling. Plus, you get random bonus video drops and, of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's Man events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. And let's not forget now, Patreon has created collections folders, subfolders for each category, making it easier than ever for you guys to locate exactly what you're looking for. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription, cancel anytime, show your support, give it a try for a month. I think you'll like all the content that I offer and every penny of it goes right back here into paying the bills at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please, if you have a few bucks to spare, you're looking to support that next up-and-coming podcast brand, please consider making it WrestleCopia. And you can hear from my voice, guys, through sickness and in health, I try to bring you guys the most quality product, providing information as well as entertainment. So if you can, help me pay some of the bills to keep the WrestleCopia Podcast Network up and running for the months and the years to come. And now with all of that out of the way, time to jump back into 1986 and Bill Watts' Universal Wrestling Federation. Right here we are back in 1986, the UWF. And again, just before we get this thing rolling, I do apologize for the way I sound, guys, but we've got to keep the content flowing. So it is at this time, I am happy to bring him back for this voyage through the Mid-South in 1986. Pick up where we left off, Crockett Cup behind us. Welcome back, Roman Gomez to the show. Roman, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Work has been absolutely insane, but man, I'm looking forward to doing this and talk about some old school wrestling again. Yeah, I uh, I can't imagine the overtime checks are coming in uh, here pretty soon. Unfortunately, you never have time to spend them. Yeah, yeah. Lately, I haven't had much time to spend them. I've been missing <laughs> 85% of the baseball postseason, and anybody that knows me knows I'm a baseball junkie, so it's breaking my heart not to watch oh, baseball, but you got you to gotta pay the bills. You got to do what you got to do to pay the bills. Well, Roman, last time we were here on the show, we closed out the Crockett Cup, the two-night big super card. Uh, joint promotion between Bill Watts and, of course, Jim Crockett promotions. Uh, Crockett Cup now behind us, though, guys. The Road Warriors, the winners, or was it the Road Runners? Boy, I sure hope Mrs. Crockett wrote that check out to cash, Roman. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, a little faux pas there by Mrs. Crockett when announcing the winners. Anywho, the roadies crowned the first ever Crockett Cup champions here in 1986. What a fun two-part event, two-part podcast show that was. And I want to uh, apologize in advance, guys. You guys, you guys can probably hear in my voice, I'm still battling some demons, not alcohol, not drugs, but rather all of these flu bugs and cold bugs and things that keep getting brought into this house by my kids coming home from school. Message to other parents, wash your kids' hands, please. <laughs> yeah. Poor Ray's been dealing with pneumonia for a while now, so uh, he's he's uh, he's he's playing injured, so to speak, today. Well, I turned the corner. I you know I was like I was pumped. You know, over the weekend, I, I was I was like, oh, I'm getting better. I'm I'm basically almost over this thing. And then all of a sudden, randomly like yesterday, I wake up and I have a cold, and I'm like, this is uh, got to be a joke, right? But I so I do apologize you know for my voice, guys. But it is what it is. Well, if you have any more of those four horsemen vitamins left over from back oh, in the day, you know, I don't know if they, those would help you or not, or they might hurt you. Who knows? I don't want to open that bottle. Horseman vitamins. <laughs> can't imagine what's in those. My God. Yeah. Yeah. And after 25 years, I, I would think the, the expiration date's probably come and gone. Ooh, 35 or more. Yeah, 35. Wow. You know, a horseman vitamin, you got to wonder how do you take those? Do you crush them up and snort them? I don't know. Oh, oh, oh wow. Oh, yeah. You went there, not me. <laughs> I did go there. Having some fun, <laughs> having some fun, trying to wake up. That's what, uh, that's trying what it's to wake all about. You up. Let's have some fun. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know, before we start with the fun, though, I, we talked about this just off air briefly, Roman. Since the last time we recorded, a couple of more big names in the wrestling business passed away, one of them being Sheik Adnan LKC, the, uh, also known as General Adnan in the 1990 through 92-ish run there in the WWF, also known as Billy White Wolf once upon a time as well. Adnan passed away. Well, it's been several weeks ago now, but we haven't recorded a show since then. And Roman, I know you were always going to, was it the showboat? Or you, you were always going to those AWA shows in Vegas, so I'm sure you've got some Adnan stories. Yeah, you know, one of the things I remember about Adnan was he was one of the few heels that would actually sign an autograph back in the day. You know, it wasn't commonplace for heels to always sign. And he signed and he was nice. And, uh, you know, in typical Adnan voice, I was like, hey, Sheik, are you coming back next month? He's like, I don't know, my man. You know, he, but he was just, he, he was, it was just something that came back to me like, wow, that was a heel that signed, you know, because Heenan wouldn't do it. And, you know, a lot of those guys wouldn't sign, but right. he took the time. So that was, that was a nice memory I had, you know, when I was a younger kid to get his autograph. Was there ever a specific uh, angle shot that involved Adnan that really stuck out to you? Yeah, just his stuff with Brody I thought was great. And, you know, when Patera became a Sheik, you know, when he bought Patera's contract off Heenan yeah. and, and made him Sheik Patera. And uh, just him managing Brody and when the Blackwell face turned, I just remember the promos with Sheik. You know, they were the same like every week, but they were comical. You know, just when he would, you know, Jerry Blackwell, you big fat slob. And you know, <laughs> just, I've got the money. And just those promos just just made me laugh you know he was uh he was he was good for wrestling and i can say he got almost as much heat as some of the some of the men he managed you know when they would have the stipulations that if so and so lost they got five minutes with the sheik and i mean the crowd wanted to see sheik in the ring as much as his protégés you know i mean that's what type of heat he had back in the day on the awa yeah you know when, when i kicked off regional wrestling i started with 1977 wwf but in order to do that, we talked a little 76 with John McAdam. And that was one of the, that was like the first big angle that really hooked him into pro wrestling was that strongbow return, the white wolf injury and all that stuff that went on back in 76. So 
I just think it's a pretty cool deal that he had so many different gimmicks or, or periods there where he was a, a Native American for many, many years on top as Billy White Wolf, tag team champion in New York. And then eventually he disappears, comes back as Sheik Adnan for the AWA for several years as well. And then just when you think there's nothing left for him, perfect timing, I guess, the Gulf War, Vince McMahon snatches him up to be the manager of Sergeant Slaughter. Right. And, you know, back then there weren't as many resources or tools to look up wrestling history. Uh, you know, there's no way to quantify it, but I'm guessing the majority of the fans did not know that Billy White Wolf turned right. into Sheik Adnan. You no, know, think, I'm guessing that, you know, a lot of people didn't know that. I think John McAdam, he told the story mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, it was years later that he got a magazine and it had Adnan on the cover or he was in the pages somewhere and he goes, wait a minute. And he pulls out his old Billy White Wolf picture and he realizes they're the same guy. So, yeah, there was no Internet back then. So it it took a little harder work here for us wrestling fans back in the day to figure things out, especially when there was like years gap in between. Yeah, I I had a moment kind of like that where I was going through a magazine. I see a picture of a guy named Harley Davidson and I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) that's Hillbilly Jim. You know, it's just just different era back then. Absolutely. And I can't wait, guys. You know, the the wrestling stoop with the wrestling legend Bob Roop going to be debuting here in the next week as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Now, we don't talk about it right out of the gate, but I can't wait till we get to the episode. And I know Bob's going to touch on it in detail. And I have some questions nobody else has asked him about it, too. I'm talking about the time that he was coaxed into going over into Iraq and wrestling Sheik Adnan and then basically becoming a hostage, so to speak, over there for a few days. Wow. See, I never even heard about that. That's something I want to hear. And for you fans that might not be familiar with Bob Roop, he's got to have a billion and one stories. This man wrestled everywhere. He was part of the uh, territory days. And uh, yeah, that's something to look forward to. Yeah, I've told Bob, I said, it's amazing where his career begins. It transcends all the guys from the 50s and 60s. And then, of course, he worked with everybody that came in in the 70s and early and mid 80s. So he really saw them all. And he's got stories for everyone as well. So it's been fun. We've got a couple of shows in the books already, and we've all we've done is cracked his first match. The rest of the shows have just been stories, nonstop stories of all the great characters from Ron Wright to Sputnik Monroe. So really good stuff. Wow. And he, he was at the gathering last year, and now I'm kind of kicking myself for not talking to him, you know, longer and uh, and uh, digging in. But, you know, he, he was there to sign autographs. I didn't want to hold up the line. But, yeah, I'm sure he's got a billion and one stories to tell so that Stay tuned, wrestling fans. I'm looking forward to that, and you guys should uh, have that on your radar. Yeah. So I uh, don't want to sit here and be a shill the entire episode. So I guess now is a good time as any. We go back to life, back to reality, as they used to say here this week on Regional Wrestling, as we return to the Universal Wrestling Federation. We know that Hacksaw Duggan, still the North American champion coming out of the Crockett Cup, defeated Dick Slater in Dickie's swan song with the company before that rebel run with the World Wrestling Federation. See how that plays out. Uh, But we'll see what happens here over the next couple weeks as we close out the month of April and kick off the month of May here this week on the program, Roman. Yeah, I'm excited. It's time to get back to the UWF 1986. What a hot time it was for wrestling in the UWF and wrestling just in general. 86 was a great year. And here we go. Away we go. April 26, UWF television tape back April 13th at the Tulsa Convention Center, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's Jim Ross and Jay Smith still here on the call. Ring announcer for this show is Mike Wilson at this event. As we head to the ring to see Dave Peterson, the future DJ Peterson, taking on Gustavo Mendoza, one of our favorite preliminaries of all time. Gustavo, just gone full-blown Castro at this point, Roman. Cuban cigar and all. 
Yeah, he was really getting into the gimmick. And like he you sure said, was. he was one of our favorites. <laughs> him, him and, uh, you know, the Libyan and, you know, guys like that that really got into their character made, made it fun to watch Enhancement Talent. Somewhere over the last several weeks, it looks like he stopped bathing. Yeah, I was going to say, he didn't, he didn't look like the cleanest individual I've ever seen. Let's just put it this way. Him and Iron Mike Sharp, that, that would have been a fun match to watch, for those of you that know oh, about yeah. Iron Mike Sharp, <laughs> Mr. Clean. But nevertheless, Gustavo going that extra mile to look the part, if you will. Mendoza trying to show off early. They go into a sequence running the ropes. Gustavo with the leapfrog. Then he tries the old Jimmy Snuka blind leapfrog from behind. But Peterson simply puts on the brakes. And Mendoza jumps in the air, but nobody's there. I wrote LOL. And of course, DJ Peterson dropkicking Gustavo in the back, sending him out to the floor. As the match goes on, fun mat wrestling follows. Gustavo grabbing Peterson by the tights, though, for leverage, pulling him face first into that bottom turnbuckle. Great bump by DJ. Don't know if he meant to take it that hard, but man, he went face first into that bottom buckle. As Peterson, however, reverses a gut-rich suplex, and eventually we wind up in probably, I wrote, the best-looking Thez press I've ever seen executed. I didn't know that was possible. Uh, all the uh, stars align just right as DJ Peterson picking up the win here, three minutes and 37 seconds. And this, this had old school wrestling, you know, as Peterson spent part of the match working over Mendoza's arm, you know, it was a short match, but it had enough action, you know, back and forth action. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, they did it. They did a good job on that, especially, you know, the, the back elbow reminiscent of blackjack Mulligan. And uh, you know, this was a fun match to watch. Yeah, you know, Jay Smith on commentary here again this week, we talked uh, about his career uh, from the 1970s in this territory, and now he's back as a commentator for a few episodes. And it's been a few episodes ago that we discussed it because you know, we've been talking about the Crockett Cup, but I wrote again here in my notes, Jay Smith, if you just listen to his commentary, he knows his stuff. Impressed me again this week with what he knows. He just seemed like a generic guy when when he first walked out there the first week, but he knows the name of the moves, the psychology, the stories being told in the ring. It's just too bad he had zero personality. Yeah, we had talked about that before. There wasn't a lot of enthusiasm. You know, knowledge-wise, he, he probably knew more than 70% of the announcers that were out there. But Easily. Just, there wasn't that enthusiasm. There wasn't that it factor, so to speak, you know, when it came to him on the mic. Up next on the show, highlights from the Crockett Cup, the quarterfinals. We see a post-match brawl between Dr. Death and Terry Taylor, who took on the Koloffs. They went to a 20-minute time limit draw when another quote-unquote Russian in Korchenko joins in. It's three-on-two as the Russians choke out Dr. Death with the chain. I can only hope we get some cross-promotion stuff here between Doc and Nikita in the future. We also see the Fantastics versus Sheepherders from the quarterfinals as well. That match joined in progress turning into a bloody brawl. So a feud follows over into the Crockett Cup, and these two teams, the Fantastics and Sheeps, they ain't done yet. Yeah, you know, they showed clips of the Fantastics with the Sheepherders, and they acknowledge the fact that the Road Warriors won the Crockett Cup, but they don't show highlights of that, and that's because the Road Warriors wrestled in the NWA and not the UWF. But, uh, yeah, we got some more Fantastic Sheepherder stuff coming down the pike, and it's, it's exciting. Yeah, Watts really putting over that uh, several of his men, the UWF teams that represented the Mid-South, were, you know, they made it to the quarterfinals of the tournament, and there were no semifinals, so it was kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah. yeah you definitely want your teams to finish strong. You know, it's all about promoting your, yourself at this time, and uh, yeah, it was good that they showed highlights of that, because that whet the fans' appetites. Like, oh, this just what little we see on this highlight may, may make me want to go to the matches and see them. Yeah, with that show essentially being a Crockett show, it was the Crockett Cup after all, you knew the finals probably weren't going to feature any of Watts' talent, 
but he did get quite a few guys, few teams in there in the quarterfinals leading in. So very cool deal there. As we roll on with the show, television champion, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, accompanied to the ring by his protege, Rick Steiner. Think about that, guys. Take it on Tracy Smothers because nobody does it like a thug. Buzz attacks and just mauls poor Tracy, who doesn't have a chance here. And Smothers, he winds up jumping right into a mad dog power slam. Buzz Sawyer going to get the win pretty quickly here. Gets the 1 2 3 and 1 23. How about that, Roman? Yep. And uh, that power slam by Buzz Sawyer, you know, it just for being short in stature and everything, just. He never thought of him like as a weakling or anything. You know, the strength to catch a guy in midair and turn it into a power slam and just, yeah, Sawyer was always uh, always on the attack, always aggressive, and he made very short work of Tracy Smothers this week. Yeah, Tracy will live to fight another day. He'll go on to be one half of the wild-eyed Southern boys, the young pistols, if you will. Sadly, he'll also be Freddie Joe Floyd. He'll be a member of the FBI. Tracy always had fun. I have a fun story about Tracy, guys. Sidetrack here for a minute, too was at an indie show back in, say, 2002, 2003, behind the curtains with Tracy. And uh, he went to go out for his matchup, and for some reason his music wouldn't play. The CD was skipping, or something was going on to where the music wouldn't play. And Tracy waited for it for a moment, and he was like, ah, hell with it. And he walks out the curtain, and he's playing heel, but he walks out the curtain, he just raises his hands in there and goes, old school, no music, right? And the crowd just pops for Tracy. He had a great sense of humor for those who, who didn't know him personally. And it was just a funny moment. I'll, I still remember 20 years later. Dude, that is awesome. Because uh, believe it or not, wrestling fans, wrestlers used to actually come to the ring with no music <laughs> once, once upon a time. time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for every gorgeous George and Macho Man and fabulous Freebirds and maybe Sergeant Slaughter, you want to throw him in there as well, that may have had some theme music earlier in their careers. Not, not so much for everyone. I got you know, I got to contradict myself though, because Watts was one of the first ones to implement all of that stuff with JYD and all of that good stuff as well. Well, yeah, and then you know, his son Joel was making Terry Taylor freeze well, frame videos that's, for uh, that's another five hundred years story altogether. <laughs> yeah, he's probably still making them somewhere in a basement. I'm thinking, <laughs> sitting back watching them by himself. Joel, if you're out there, man, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to have you on the show. That that would be an interesting segment to have Joel Watts on. That that could be some fun. <laughs> it could be a good time, man. He was around. Uh, so I wrote again in my notes. I talked a little more about Jay Smith, and I had to do it because I got to get him in while he's here. I wrote, Jay, continuing with the great storytelling on commentary here, admitting that Tracy was in over his head, but also noting that you have to compete at a higher level than you are in order to get better, which is true in all sports. So again, just too bad. Jay had that charisma of a turnip here because he got it otherwise. <laughs> yeah, he definitely understood. You know, like Ric Flair used to say, to be the man, you got to beat the man. How are you going to how are you going to prove you're the best unless you go up against the best? Up next on the show, it's an update here in the UWF. It appears that Kamala, which we already knew, and Skandor Akbar, his manager, are indeed back in the area. As we see highlights shown here of Kamala beating the likes of Billy Jack Haynes, Kerry Von Erich, and his past feud with Hacksaw Jim Duggan here just a year ago. Then we go off to Jackson, Mississippi. Going to go back a year to May the 4th. And it's the Cowboy on the call here. As we see Hacksaw Duggan taking on Kamala. Referee Randy Anderson in there gets bumped. Poor Randy in there with guys that size. Randy Anderson, if you thought he was small in WCW, guys, go back and look at Randy in the early and mid-80s. Oh, my gosh. So Randy, though, going to get bumped by Duggan as a Hacksaw blasting Kamala with a spear. And then Skandor Akbar in and fireballs Duggan right in the face, burning the flesh off his face. 
And when this first happened a year ago, they sold it as potentially the end of Hacksaw's career. But Duggan would obviously eventually return for revenge, even gaining the aid of Bill Watts in the war. How about that? Uh, Duggan, though, he was ready for a series of gimmick matches and loser-leave-town matches versus Kamala. The writing was on the wall, so instead, Kamala just up and left the territory without notice. And in that video piece, something I thought was was good, that they showed him beating Kerry Von Erich. You know, Kerry was a world heavyweight champion just one year prior to this, so it was right. still fresh in the fans' minds. You know, they would see him on the covers of magazines with the NWA belt and everything. So just a little subtle thing that Watts would do, just kind of like our guy is better than your guy. You know, he's done that in the past, and I, it's just something I picked up on. Like, yeah, they showed him beat a former world heavyweight champion because you don't think of Kamala – in the world heavyweight championship title picture. You know, he was not that type of wrestler, but it was good to show him beat a former world champion. No, he was more of a gimmick guy. You're right. He didn't really go for title belts too often, but at the same time, he feuded with the likes of Andre the Giant. So he was always a believable main eventer, but now he's maybe gunning for the belt. Yeah. You know, I I don't know how serious people took it back then of him being the actual world champion or if they if the fans recognized him more as a gimmick. I mean, we look back now. I mean, yeah, we we knew he was a gimmick. But back then there might have been people that believed he was a savage. He did have Ackbar in his corner. Maybe he could pull off the upset. There are rumors he once had Hulk Hogan's head on a spear. Oh, what a great magazine cover. I always wanted to get that magazine cover and get it autographed, and I never had the chance to meet Kamala. Sadly, he passed away, and uh, you know, I never had the chance to meet him. That would have been fun to meet him. Yeah, I do have that magazine, but again, I don't. My, mine's not autographed either, unfortunately. But I want to get back here on topic just for a minute, Roman, because you look at this, and the story is Kamala left town without notice a year ago, right? But here he is back in Bill Watts' country, so even Watts recognizing the talent or at least the overness of this Kamala gimmick and letting him back into town. Now, Ken Mantell, the booker, he had the in with Kamala and Akbar. He's the one that brought him back in, but Watts had to give the okay as well. Yeah, you know, and for all the criticism of Watts, you know, people have called him a racist, have called him this, that, you know. Watts was going to do whatever it took to to make money. If he saw dollar signs, you know, he was willing to forgive you, you know. So he, he thought there was a chance to make some money with Kamala. So, okay, let's bring him back. Yeah, so it appears, at least on the business end, that uh, things have been smoothed over between Watts and Kamala and all that good stuff. Anything surely beats Korchenko in the main event. Uh, Ken oh, Mantel. yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, if you can keep him as far away from the main event as possible, I, I'll be happy. Or even the opening match, for that matter. Well, that, that too. <laughs> I know Korchenko's out there. He's on Facebook. Uh, hopefully, you know, people don't send him too many of these uh, podcasts. But I'm calling a spade a spade. It's just not very good. And hopefully he can, you know, look back and have a laugh at it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything else to add to that. <laughs> you said it all. Probably for the best. So uh, Kamala and Skandor Akbar back in town and looking to rekindle their feud with Hacksaw Jim Duggan is up next. We see Jim Ross in the ring talking with Skandor Akbar and his Ugandan headhunter, the mighty Kamala. Akbar warning Duggan that they would return one day, and here they are. Actually, they probably came back to the UWF because they couldn't find those super pro venues. Got to advertise better, Mr. Robley. (laughs) Yeah, watch at least announce the dates and the towns and the times and, you know, little things like that. Just the little things. (laughs) It's the small things, Roman. It's just the small things. Uh, So Kamala going to make a full course meal out of Hacksaw Duggan, says Akbar. 
when they get back into the ring against one another. Can't wait for that. But for right now, it's Perry Jackson stepping in the ring to take on Kamala with Akbar in his corner. And Kamala, one of the very few people who brought their theme music with them from territory to territory. Now, he had the one before this that sounded like they were pull cues being hit. Uh, but this one, this is the one he used all the way into the early 90s WWF. So very familiar theme music here, Kamala to the ring. As Kamala attacks poor Jackson, thrust kick and big splash. Going to do him in in just 56 seconds. Very impressive return for the Ugandan giant. And Kamala had all the offense in this match, and it was a short match, which makes perfect sense. It would have been stupid to show a video of him beating Kerry Von Erich and then struggling against Perry Jackson. So this match went exactly the way it was supposed to, and it was a smart way to book Kamala in his first match returning. Yeah, that's how you book a monster, and Kamala took, uh, he took care of things in there. He knew, what, he knew what to do by this point. He's been doing this gimmick for quite a few years at this point. So Kamala getting the job done in there, looking forward to wrestling the North American champion, Hacksaw Duggan, here in the near future. But right now, we continue on with the show. One of the feature matches sees Dr. Death, Steve Williams, taking on Jack Victory with Lady Maxine in his corner. Yes, indeed, the six foot four Maxine in all her glory out here as Doc makes his way out to the bosses, born in the USA. And by the way, I know the boss, Bruce Springsteen, was recently ill, Roman, so hope he's doing better. Oh, yeah. Springsteen was all over MTV back back at that time, you know, (laughs) with with glory days, born in the USA, all that. But yeah, Yeah, hopefully Bruce gets better. Yeah, 1980s rock and roll, 1980s music in general, uh, as they say nowadays, gives me the feels. All all the feels. Lots of memories hearing yeah. those songs, you know, and, and and I'm sure like most wrestling fans, you hear a certain song on the radio just cruising down the road and, you know, you can't help but, oh, that reminds me of such and such or that was yeah. so-and-so's theme music, you know, it just brings back a lot of memories. And God, I know why they can't use real music these days, but man, hearing those songs, the popular songs of the time being used, it just added more depth, another level to connecting with the talents which is probably why ECW works so well, even if Paul Heyman never bothered to get permission. Heyman doing something unethical? No. Heyman was one of those guys, they say, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Heyman asked for neither. So that's just the way he rolled. <laughs> ECW, ECW. Uh, as we <laughs> continue on with the show. Uh, oddly, Brett Sawyer joining for commentary here, replacing Jay Smith. Thought that was unusual. It's Dr. Death overpowers victory early on and it just fucking destroys him, Roman, with a shoulder tackle. In fact, I talked about this spot with uh, Bob Roop on one of his uh, early shows here. They're going to be dropping. I don't know if Jack knew it was coming at least that hard, but he fucking caught victory. Doc caught victory off guard. And it was like Jack got hit by a moving brick wall because victory goes flying off the mat and just bounced all sorts of awkward into the ropes and then rolls, <laughs> rolls to the outside. I don't know if you, you noticed that spot. I don't know if you took a note oh, on that oh, spot. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah. I just wasn't I was expecting say, it. I was going to say, wrestling fans, it's not often that, you know, you get excited about a shoulder tackle. <laughs> right. but it's in my notes. It's in Ray's notes. In my notes, I put he knocked him into the middle of next week. <laughs> this was I not mean, a work bump. Just, <laughs> it was just victory. No, no. I mean, Doc is not a petite little man, you know, and there was some force behind it. And good God. <laughs> victory's probably still flying through the air right now <laughs> if those ropes didn't catch him it's very very well likely 
Yeah, it's uh, crazy. You guys got to go check that out up on my YouTube, this match, because, you know, when these matches start off, the headlocks, the arm bars, the, the tackles, the drop down, things like that, I'm watching and I'm taking notes, but I'm, you know, I'm in a different mood. We're not in, we're setting the tone. And this came so early and so out of nowhere that I just, it woke me up. Like I jumped out of my seat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was the, you know, I stopped the DVD and like, okay, I got to take notes on that. You know, I know it's a shoulder tackle, but wow. Yeah, <laughs> it was, was that awesome. hard. Was that hard hitting? You know, when Ross talks about hard hitting and all that stuff, but yeah, you, you didn't mess with doc. And when he had some force behind him, goodness gracious. So victory going to collect himself on the outside, roll back into the ring. Uh, he goes to the eyes, which enables him to finally take over for a few minutes, try to wear down Dr. Death. But Williams eventually breaking free of a chin lock, but he misses a big splash. And Jacko right back onto that chin lock. But Doc again out one more time. This time, Victory missing a charge in the corner. And it's time for Dr. Death to take control. As Williams plows Victory back to the mat and makes the cover, but Maxine puts Jack's foot on the rope to prevent a count. Oh, now shenanigans are coming into play. Doc, though, doesn't hesitate, remains on the offense and another cover. And again, Maxine placing Jack Victory's foot over that bottom rope. Open your eyes, referee. She's done it twice now. So, so far, Victory being saved, helped out here by his woman on the outside. As now Williams getting pissed off at Lady Max. He realizes what's been going on. But Dr. Death telegraphing a backdrop. Victory kicking him square in the mouth. And down goes Steve Williams. Victory then jumps on top to make the cover. And Maxine reaches in again. Only this time, she grabs Doc's leg and holds it down, preventing Steve from getting the leverage to kick out. And Jack Victory going to get the one, two, and three. Yes, indeed, guys. Jack Victory steals the win. Jack Victory has pinned Dr. Death Steve Williams. And even though Maxine is a physical presence, a force, she looks like a badass, she's with Victory, to me, this was still a surprise to see Doc get pinned, you know? And something I wanted to add to this, Ray, I'm sure you've probably got something in your notes about it, is how Ross handled it on commentary. Afterwards, I, I couldn't help but notice that he never said Doc got pinned. He just said that something has to be done about Maxine. They never showed the ref count to three, and on the video replay, they never showed the ref eventually counting to three. It was like they were going out of their way to protect Doc. That's, right. Okay. You know, well, that that's how sense. I saw it. I didn't notice any of that. I'm glad you picked up on all of that. Uh, great psychology from the booking standpoint, the production standpoint, if you will, uh, there from uh, Bill Watts. It was kind of like Kim Mantell, and I'm making this up, guys, but I can see Kim Mantell booking the finish, and then Bill Watts adding that touch, that fine touch there of, okay, Doc can job, but we're not going to you know, dwell on it. We're not going to harp on it too much. Jack Victory won. We don't need to keep burying Dr. Death over and over again. Yeah, it was kind of a way to like elevate Victory, and like you said, but not put down Doc. But I just I paid attention to that because you know everybody knows that Ross had a fondness for Doc and vice versa, the Oklahoma connection. And and yeah, Ross never said, "Oh, Doc got pinned," or "What an upset." He was just like, "We got to do something about Maxine," you know. And they kind of shifted the focus a little bit. And I I just thought that was interesting. I don't know how much thought went into that, or maybe I'm making a big deal out of nothing. But it was just an observation I made, and so I made it. No, honestly, if this was, you know, somewhere else is some other time period, maybe I'd call into question, maybe you're overthinking things, but this, that sounds exactly like something Bill Watts would do. So uh, I'm glad you caught that. I did not notice that as they gave these guys some time here to wrestle the match went eight minutes, 
in 52 seconds on my note, I simply wrote, wow, I did not see that coming. Jack Victory now holding a victory over Terry Taylor and Dr. Death Steve Williams. And Jack, no fool, immediately exiting the ring, taking off with Lady Maxine as Doc jumps up in a rage. Uh, so it's amazing. Jack Victory now with two big wins in as many weeks. And a victory, at this point, there's some sort of a push uh, in mind for him. Yeah, and, you know, this was a good match. And I even put that this, you know, if this was the TV main event, it wouldn't have been a bad choice. I mean, I know we got other stuff coming up later, but this was actually a good match to watch, even though Maxine kept interfering and everything. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this match. No, it was a fun matchup, but uh, we got a bigger match ahead, which is probably why this one wasn't uh, the main event, so to speak, talking about victory and Dr. That's, that's because up next, it is the North American champion, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, defending his title against the former champion, Dick Slater. And before the match can even begin, both men interrupted by Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, accompanied by Korchenko. Oh no, Gilbert out here to challenge the winner of this match on behalf of his Russian. Korchenko clearly wants a title shot now. It would appear as Gilbert doesn't get very far before Duggan simply pie faces him to the mat. LOL moment there causing Korchenko to attack Duggan. Eddie trying to get in, make it a two-on-one attacking Hacksaw, but Duggan holding his own against both men as Dick Slater wisely just watching the fight for a while there. Duggan finally clearing the ring of Hot Stuff and Korchenko as Slater finally attacking Hacksaw. So the ever-opportunist is Dick Slater. Yeah, and why not? You know, you got some uh, allies to help you out and try to soften up Duggan to take away the North American title. Yeah, wise move there by a grizzled vet and Dick Slater. He's sitting back. He's like, well, I got, you know, no matter what happens here, it, it can't, it, you know, it's going to benefit me. Either the heels are going to beat this guy down and make my life a lot easier. Maybe Duncan's going to clear the ring, but at least he's going to have some fight out taken out of him. Yeah, and, you know, let's face it, Slater had uh, all kinds of things against him the last couple months. So he's sure. probably thinking like, wow, something's finally going my way for a change. <laughs> the real main event should have been Bill Watts versus Dick Slater. I think, I think that's where we should have been going. Yeah, yeah, they, could've, they definitely could have worked that into an angle. Uh, as the match is on, Slater attacking Duggan referee here, Carl Fergie for this one. And oh yeah, Jay Smith back on commentary as well. The story here being Hacksaw Duggan wrestling with injured ribs and a bad arm, his hand taped up here. And on top of that, he just had a fist fight with Korchenko. And now the former champion, Slater, gains control. Dickey takes the fight outside and into the steel railing. Duggan repeatedly tries to fight back, but Slater staying on top, swinging neckbreaker, going to get him a two count, as Dick comes off the top rope, but right into a big right hand from Duggan in the breadbasket of Slater. From there, Duggan drops Slater with a series of big punches, but misses a knee drop, as Slater tries to capitalize with a figure four. Makes sense, but Duggan manages to kick himself free. So, Dickie changes gear, tries for a falling headbutt, but Duggan moves out of the way again, as Business begins to pick up, to quote JR. Both guys now laying it in, trading shots. Hacksaw going to try for a splash. Never seen that before. Duggan off the middle rope with a splash, but misses. Slater looks like he's back in control, but Duggan leapfrogs over, rebounds off the ropes with the spear. Out of nowhere, the spear connects on Slater. Duggan covers for the 1-2-3. Hacksaw Duggan will retain six minutes and three seconds. And, you know, th this was a treat for the fans back then because there was no pay-per-view. So those of you that wanted to see Duggan and Slater at the Crockett Cup and couldn't go, or it's like, wow, now we get to see it on TV. And 
this this showcase Duggan as a fighting champion. You know, like you alluded to, he was taped up with the ribs and everything. He got jumped before the the bell, and so he had an uphill battle. And for him to come back and beat Slater, show Duggan as a fighting champion, and uh, it put him in a good light. And you talked about things that Jim Ross would do on commentary or not do in the last match. But in this match, this was pretty uh, clear. At the end of the matchup, Duggan pinning Dick Slater, Jim Ross makes it very clear that Hacksaw has, quote-unquote, settled his score with Dick Slater after this matchup, basically telling us this is the end. Hacksaw's definitively proven to be the North American champion. And, of course, we know Dickie, he actually finished up April 19th at the Superdome, also losing to Duggan at the Crockett Cup. So this was an actuality taped six days prior to that, but it did air after. Essentially, this writes Slater off of UWF TV while putting over the current champion in the process, Master Booking 101. And as Jim Ross closes the show this week, the camera focuses on a fan sign, which reads, Hey Slater, no belt, no journey, no trim. Camera focuses right in on that poster. Yeah, that that's kind of a low blow, a departing, departing final <laughs> shot. But, you know, back then, I had no inside knowledge. I had no inside <laughs> scoop or of anything. So when I'd see him in the WWF later, you know, coming out with the Confederate flag, something just didn't seem right at the time. I, I don't know if this is going to go over here. You know, like him with the Confederate, something just, he seemed out of place. And as time went on, he definitely was out of place as the rebel Dick Slater. Yeah, you know, the Southern boys, we talked about that a little bit with Tracy Smothers, Steve Armstrong. They made that gimmick work. I love that. But, of course, WCW also a Southern-based promotion, even if they were national by that point. But at the same time, as a kid up here in Ohio, I loved the Wild-Eyed Southern boys. Of course, that was a lot of their their, their bouncing around the ring, doing all that great double-teaming and stuff as well that really played into that. But Dick Slater certainly didn't have the personality, the babyface personality you needed to get over the fact that, hey, I'm Southern and I'm a Duke boy. You know what I'm talking about? Duke's Hazard, guys. Go back and watch it. It was a great show. <laughs> and it's a shame, too, because he was a tremendous talent, a legit tough guy, you know, can cut a decent promo. And just it was one of those things where I think McMahon wanted to try to hurt the UWF more than help the WWF at that time. You know, it was kind of like, well, let's just stick it to our opponent. You know, let's let's see who else we could take. You know, when they took Jake, it hurt the UWF a little bit, and but it made the WWF stronger. When they took Slater, I think it was just to kind of weaken the UWF. They they really had no plans for Slater in the WWF. Right, yeah. And um, I just I thought it was crazy that they would you know post a picture, zoom in on that poster there to kind of acknowledge some things. And I love that no belt, no journey means no trim. Kind of funny uh, to see that there in 1986 television. Seems more like a uh, Attitude Era poster, but we roll on April 27th. Power Pro Wrestling, Jim Ross hosting here. Uh, we go back to the Crockett Cup once again. We see the fantastic Sheep Herders. Joel Watts doing voiceover commentary work here as we see the wild five-way bloodbath between the two teams and Jack Victory that led to a double disqualification and a double elimination in the quarterfinals. One of the most exciting matches of the night, in my estimation, and Great job of furthering the local storyline and feud coming out of that Superdome event. Well, especially knowing that they were going to keep pushing the fantastic sheep herders. I mean, it's great to show the fans what they missed and then make them want to come to the arena to see it in person. Up next, it's a throwback to the Tulsa Convention Center. Fantastics in the ring again, this time taking on Jim Cornette's Midnight Express. Lover boy Dennis and beautiful Bobby. For some reason, we get the entire Fantastics entrance here. Undertaker, eat your heart out. 
as the Fantastics will go over when Jim Cornette tries to aid Dennis Condry, pulling him to the ropes during a Bobby Fulton sunset flip attempt, but Tommy Rogers in, kicking Condry's hands free of the ropes, and Fulton completing that sunset flip, and the Fantastics going to get the win. We get about six minutes shown, which is probably about how long their ring entrance lasted as well. Yeah, and you can't complain, even though the Midnights are not in the UWF, you can't complain anytime you see a Fantastic Midnight's mad. So it's like, sign me up, I'll watch. Yeah, Power Pro's great for the throwbacks, and as we go back again in time, another throwback match to the house shows, it's the fabulous Freebirds. Buddy Roberts and Michael Hayes in there taking on Brad Armstrong and Brickhouse Brown. As it is joined in progress, Joel Watts on commentary once more. We see the entire duration of a Brad Armstrong, or heat segment, Brad Armstrong taking the heat all the way through to the finish. Uh, Brickhouse never even tagging back in as the Birds stealing a win over Brad. About five minutes shown here. Unusual ending here. You would think Brickhouse Brown was going to do the job, but it was actually Brad Armstrong jobbing to the Freebirds. And Brad was no stranger to doing jobs. You know, we do. We had talked about before what an underrated performer. Oh my and God, yeah. Brad seemed to kind of be the guy that would have no ego. So I could see him like, yeah, I'll do the job tonight. You know, it just seemed to be how Brad was. And that's, this isn't the first time we've seen the Freebirds appear on Power Pro in recent weeks scoring wins. So more importantly, as we head back to the Power Pro studio, Jim Ross makes a note that the Freebirds are indeed, guys, on their way back to the Universal Wrestling Federation. More on that before we close the show this week. Right now, though, it's another throwback match, this time to the Irish McNeil Boys Club. Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on a very different evil Russian in Crusher Khrushchev, or Russian sympathizer, I should say. Uh, We go back in time to the McNeil Boys Club. Stipulations for this match were, if Duggan wins, he gets to do whatever he wants with that Russian flag. But if Khrushchev wins, he gets to cut Duggan's hair. Tough guy. And this match being shown because, well, they're getting ready to recreate U.S. versus Russia feud here in the territory again. This time, though, Hacksaw going to be mixing it up with Korchenko. As we see Hacksaw going over Khrushchev with the spear in only four and a half minutes. And as you guys might suspect, Hacksaw destroying the Russian flag. And what a great way to make the fans happy. You know, nationalism was high and, you know, let's. Let's see the Russian flag get destroyed. And, uh, yeah, Watts was, even even though he pushed Russians, he was not a fan of them behind the scenes. You know, on his commentary, he took every chance he could to bury every liberty Russian ideal. Yeah, <laughs> even if a Russian wasn't in the ring, he was talking about their high prices of gasoline or whatever. You know, somehow we don't do that here in America. Russia. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it was uh, great stuff. A lot of people might call Bill Watts a xenophobe, but... I just called him entertaining. He was always talking about something. Yeah, he was uh, He was never lacking for opinions, that's for sure. <laughs> Whether you wanted his opinion or not, he was going to give it to you. And I don't know if that's the only person I would want teaching me politics and all these other things, but as a kid, that's probably how I got my fix, was listening to whatever the cowboy had to say, because other than that, I wasn't watching the news. Yeah, yeah, I was... Uh... <laughs> I was not looking to see what, how long the lines were to, to buy bread or what the price was or inflation in China or anything, right. you know. But, yeah, Watts, Watts had, his, had his finger on the pulse of uh, the world. Everything. Politics, I guess. Yes. I don't know what Absolutely. I'm trying to say, but, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, for sure. As uh, we roll on with the show, Jim Ross back in the ring going to interview. No, wait, he's not in the ring. He's backstage at the Superdome during the Crockett Cup event. Jim Ross interviewing Hacksaw Jim Duggan and his father, police chief Jim Duggan, 
who was indeed chief of police in Glens Falls, New York, once upon a time. That's very interesting. Uh, good to see that he uh, particip- or came on out to see his son in action. Hacksaw talks taking on and taking down all comers here in the UWF, but his father took on the toughest opponent when he took down cancer. As we know now, Roman Hacksaw, he would do the same multiple times many years later. Yeah, yeah, Hacksaw was, battled it and uh, overcame. And, uh, you know, just you talking about the backstage thing, just thinking about how different wrestling is now. Back then, it, it was fun to see a backstage interview or something in the locker room because it wasn't something that was commonplace. Right. You know, now a guy gets jumped backstage and there's 27 cameras. Like, did they know it was going to happen? Why is that? You know, I mean, it kind of goes against what we grew up, you know, in the kayfabe era. Like, if oh, something happened back stage like wow we're getting a bonus you know and yeah every once in a while that camera would magically follow the guys all the way into the locker room sometimes it would stop at the curtains or the door or whatever you want to call it but every time it made its way all the way back it did feel like a bonus and you you popped right away because you knew something was about to go down yeah it was definitely unique to see something happen backstage back in the day so pretty cool here to see hacksaw and his father the father-son duo show off their fists to Jim Ross so he could compare the hams to one another. So I wrote, uh, that's where Hacksaw got his big fist from. Uh, Police Chief Duggan wouldn't want to get into a fight with him as they put over Mm. the UWF now airing in the New York markets and Chief Duggan being able to finally watch his son wrestle here in the UWF. That had to have been a thrill. You know, I mean, storyline, not storyline. Anytime your dad can watch you do something, you know, those are some of my fondest memories or my dad coming to my baseball games. So I'm Sure, it was a big thrill for Duggan to have his dad in attendance. And I'm sure uh, more times than not, when a parent hears that their child wants to go into pro wrestling, become a professional wrestler, and specifically when that parent is not a fan of wrestling, and I don't know that Police Chief Duggan was or wasn't, it feels like he really wasn't, uh, not, not to Duggan's degree anyway. I, I can't imagine you know how they felt about these guys jumping in here to make a career of it, but he had a reason to be proud of his son. Duggan, before he even got to the WWF, was... On the top here in the UWF. Yeah, and, you know, it it brought back a memory I had of talking with the Young Bucks' mom. You know, I was talking to their parents one time at a show at Ring of Honor, and I asked that about the mom. You know, I go, you go to the matches, and she she's still a mom. She said she still cringes when her kids get hit or, when you know, when they land outside the ring. Like, she goes, it's wrestling, but you're a mom. You know, you don't ever want to see your kid get hurt. So right. I, I can only imagine mentally, you know, what parents are like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, be a, a pro wrestler and risk getting hurt night after night, you know, and it's, it's a very physical, obviously demanding profession. So I'm sure parents would have second thoughts when their kids say, yeah, I want to be a pro wrestler. Well, let's look at how many people don't make it. The, the financial disaster that, that may follow as well. So a lot of people chasing dreams and it works out for, you know, an elite few, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very hard. I mean, it, it's a different road nowadays than back then, but, yeah, my, my hat's off to anybody that would drive 15 hours to get a $20 payoff and, you know, and stuck with it for years and years and, right. and made it. It's like, wow, that really is a success story to do that. This promo here with the Duggan family, Jim Ross, he has some fun with the chief and then Hacksaw. He seemed pleased, literally legitimately pleased to have his father in town to visit and make him proud, make his dad proud. It's got to be a good feeling. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that. Uh, you know, the wrestlers were on the road all the time. So I'm sure it was hard for the parents to, you know, it wasn't like they could see them four days in a row, you know, because they were in one town, then another. So whenever 
a parent was able to attend. I'm sure it was a big deal. And, you know, the UWF at that time was not frequently going to the East Coast or anything. They were based in the in the Oklahoma and Tulsa and, you know, in that area. So for his dad, who lived in the East Coast, you know, it was definitely made it even more of a big thrill to see him. Yeah, it had to be a huge deal for both Duggins, really, but to go to the Superdome. Everybody knew what the Superdome was. Uh, to go to the Superdome to watch your son wrestle and win. I mean, it's consolation there, uh, win or lose, obviously. But Duggan didn't really have a say in that matter. But he did go over, nevertheless. And he is the champion, the main eventer of the territory. So I'm sure his father was proud. As we continue on here with Power Pro throwback match once again, Kamala with Skandor Akbar in his corner taking on Billy Jack Haynes. This match from Houston, Texas, the old Paul Bosch territory. Match taped during Kamala's last tenure with the Mid-South Wrestling Promotion, and Kamala now back in town doing matches with Hacksaw on the house shows already by this point. Uh, so they're picking up where they left off a year ago before Kamala abruptly left that territory. In this matchup, we get the final three and a half minutes here, Kamala finishing Billy Jack off with the big splash for the win. Big win there for Kamala over Billy Jack Haynes. Yeah, and Billy Jack was a favorite of the magazines, you know, back in the day. Well, he looked the part. Just... certainly had the look. Yeah, he had that Kerry Von Erich look, and, you know, he was in the magazines, and, oh, Billy Jack, the future world champ, the people's champ, you know, all these articles. So, you know, again, more more good booking by the UWF and having Kamala pin Billy Jack and showing it on TV. You look around at all the places Haynes went, Florida, world-class, WWF, Crockett, the story with Crockett as well. Portland, of course. Well, yeah, but Portland, uh, I think it's, um, I, I don't know if it fits into this. Uh, but I'm just trying, he's his own worst enemy. Uh, the short tenures oh, okay. he had with these companies in Portland, he seemed to get along with Dono and at least a lot longer than he did. There's talk of him attacking Jim Crockett over payoffs. Obviously his Florida run didn't last long. His, uh, his Dallas run felt like it was just a matter of weeks. I'm sure he clashed with Fritz von Eric. So it's just weird. And then the WWF, he comes in, he, he has the look. I mean, God, that's, that's a Vince McMahon look. If you've ever seen one and it feels like he's starting to get a slight push and then something goes awry shortly after WrestleMania 3 to the point where he's relegated to teaming with Hillbilly Jim on the syndicated shows. And then he's really not on TV much at all until the Patera stuff at the end of the year. And then there's an incident on a plane and Billy Jack's no more. It's just interesting to see all of the places that gave him a shot to be on top. You have to think at the end of the day, I wasn't there, but he had to be his own worst enemy. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, he had the look. He had people behind him left and right. You know, like I said, the magazines, the promotion. And yeah, he shot himself in the foot. You know, he's got nobody to blame but himself. Uh, we close out this edition of Power Pro. One more throwback match to Houston, Texas one more time. This time it's Chavo Guerrero. Classic taking on Rip Rogers here. Matchup joined in progress. Final three minutes shown. Chavo putting down the Ripper after a spinning heel kick. And a bridging German suplex going to finish this one. Chavo, another name, headed in full-time here to the UWF. And, you know, just Chavo and Rip Rogers, I mean, it's hard to picture those two having a bad match together, you know, oh, yeah. two consummate professionals. And, uh, yeah, that was a good good choice to show that. And, uh, you know, it's a shame we didn't get a little, little more action, at, you know, instead of just a three-minute. Right. So, yeah, that's a little highlight at the end of the show, putting over Chavo, and who better to make somebody look good than Rip Rogers, who was uh, always underutilized as far as I'm concerned. Um, but we're going to roll on to the following week, May the 3rd, UWF Television, a new set of TV tapings here, taped back just over a week ago, April 27th. Well, actually less than a week ago. 
Tulsa Convention Center once more, Oklahoma. Jim Ross and Bill Watts here this week. So long, Jay Smith. Thanks for coming. Right out of the gate, JR announcing a trivia contest, Roman, for the next four weeks. They will drop a clue here on TV. And after all four clues have been given, you can send your guess to the wrestler's identity. Postcards only, folks, to the address listed in Bixby, Oklahoma. Wow, not even a P.O. box. Pretty ballsy there, cowboy. Uh, probably right, <laughs> right to his doorstep, you have to think. Bill Watts is ready for it. And it's funny you mentioned that because uh, we kind of glossed over it on the last episode, at least on my version. Mm-hmm. They were showing commercials for Fantastics t-shirts, how to get your Jim Duggan t-shirts. And, you know, they were showing that. Oh, right. So an old trick they used to do back in the day, anytime they wanted you to mail in something or, you know, have a oh, car. Yeah. It was an excuse to get your address so they can send you their catalogs and what they had to sell. And just, you know, the previous week they were talking about Fantastic T-shirts and how to get them. So I'm sure you were going to get an ad for how to order your Fantastic T-shirt once you sent in your how mailing address. How did they address know I was content. a fan? Somebody's watching. Big Brother's watching me. Bill Watts. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's right, guys. All you 1980s WWF kids out there. Every time you wish Get Well Hulk or you wrote into Matilda. They were just simply uh, getting your uh, getting your address I, in order to send you. I was you just going to say, <laughs> I was just going to say, Matilda never wrote me back. Shame on her. Damn you! <laughs> what a bitch! It's bad enough that you got to take orders from a doll, <laughs> but you got to take orders from a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, if you send in that postcard, the winner will receive the retired North American title. And I wrote, okay, that picture, not the current North American title, Roman, but man, wouldn't that have been awesome if this was legit, if this was a legit deal, you could win that North American title belt. Oh, that would have been awesome. But but back then, you know, fans did not go to the arenas with belts. That was a rare thing. I mean, no. Any belt back then would have been a treat, you know, as a young kid or a mark or whatever you want to call it for anybody across the country that, at, at that time, like, that would have been a dream to have a belt of any kind. Yeah, no, I wasn't collecting memorabilia back then, so I'm sure I would have just simply used it, me being a kid, for fun, you know, in, in the house or in the backyard, oh, yeah. having a wrestling show. This is my belt. Clocking yeah. people left and right with it until I bust somebody open and get in trouble and get a switch around the leg or something, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm just hypothesizing what may have happened had i won this contest of course way back when we had a neighbor down the street that had a trampoline and we were known to have a few matches on the trampoline you know the neighborhood kids and what a great place to defend the belt you know would have been to go over to the trampoline and have your (laughs) wrestling matches so bill watts then once again puts over his uwf teams that were involved in the crockett cup he says of the eight teams left in the quarterfinals here we go three of them were from the uwf so nearly half the field made it to the quarterfinals as the cowboy says i love this line knowledgeable fans told them those matches stole the show knowledgeable fans smart marks i guess yeah yeah you gotta uh gotta, gotta tip the hat to the knowledgeable fans for telling bill watch he's doing a great job first time i ever heard, heard him use that line i i popped for it the knowledgeable fans told me that my teams stole the show <laughs> And and there is truth in that, you know. His his teams did do very good in the in the Crockett Cup. Oh, yeah, so it's not like good. he's 
it's not like he's telling you Coco Ware and the Italian Stallion, you know, should have been crowned champs at, at that event. <laughs> oh, you had to bring them up. Uh, as we go oh, on, Brett Wayne Sawyer up next, scheduled to take on Gustavo Mendoza. Now, sadly, Roman, Brett recently passed away since our last recording. I don't know if you had any thoughts you wanted to share there on the passing of Brett Wayne Sawyer. Well, I, I know I saw him at the gathering and he just, he just didn't look right. Something just looked off and we'll just leave it at that. He just did not look right. Yeah. You know, I saw him do a couple of uh, online interviews and it just, he didn't look like I would picture him to look, I guess I, it's the best way I could put it. And uh, without going back, I don't know if it's ever been disclosed the reason for his passing but Brett Sawyer, an unsung hero of his era. I mean, he got some pushes in Portland and down in Georgia and things, and he was never going to be the main event guy. He was simply too small to begin with, and I think he lacked a little charisma as well and maybe maybe some promos. But uh, in the ring, he was as fundamentally sound as you got. The problem was his brother was Buzz Sawyer, so he was always going to walk in that shadow because nobody was as good as Buzz Sawyer. Well, very few anyway. And Brett Sawyer, though, he was very handy here in this run. And I had forgotten all about that. Honestly, when I think back, without now that we're dissecting it, it's a different story. But when I think back to this timeline, I just think of Brett Sawyer as a prelim guy who got a few wins and he, you know, put up a fight. But that was a, that was about it. But really, the case it's not that cut and dry because he's putting on some good matches here. Yeah, and you know, he's a former national heavyweight champion. You know, and you alluded to the fact that Buzz was his brother, and you know, there's two ways you can look about that. You know. Uh, it, it was, I'm sure, extremely difficult to walk in Buzz's shadow, you know, right. to, in his footsteps. Because, I mean, there's only one Buzz Sawyer. I mean, nobody was going to measure up to him. But without Buzz, I wonder if Brett would have got the put. Probably wouldn't have. You know, no, he, he, no. Was a, he was a good performer. He was a right. mid-card guy. But I definitely think he got the rub off of being Buzz's brother, you know, that no, they he got a little, little extra something off of that. You know, I'm not trying to take away from Brett's talent, but I agree with you. I'm sure he got spots on uh, cards, and I'm sure he got spots in territories simply because his brother was Buzz Sawyer. Things just worked like that back then, and it still do, I think, to a degree in certain places anyway. But at the same time, I'm not trying to take away from his talent. He could really go in the ring. He was very fast, you know, and, and again, he was short and stocky, but he could really move. He had a great drop kick, and he could go off that top rope pretty damn good for that era as well. Right. And he had something that, you know, all the wrestlers wanted back in that day was to be seen like on the Superstation. You know, he sure. had that exposure of being on Georgia Championship Wrestling seen every week. So when he came to the UWF, fans already knew about him. You know, they, they knew a little of his history. It wasn't like they had to try to learn to like him. You know, they're like, oh, right. we remember him. He was a former national champ. He went up against Jake. He did this. He did that. So yeah, he was on TBS you know, during he, those, those peak years. Yes, yes, definitely. And, you know, Heyman's brother beat the Road Warriors. I mean, sure. nobody beat the Road Warriors back then. They beat the Road Warriors for the national tag titles. So, you know, he did have a little history. I mean, what a platform Georgia Championship Wrestling was because it was the first superstation, the first exposure of fans to see people on a nationwide, you know, television thing. And, right. you know, that definitely helped his career. Best thing I can say here, you know, I saved this. I waited for this show because I knew we would be going back to Mid-South, and of course, Brett is here right now, so I wanted to save that for well, when you return to the show so we can discuss it here because we're in the middle of discussing Brett Sawyer every week on TV. But uh, I just wanted to get that in. Uh, it's a long overdue, uh, I can say RIP to Brett Sawyer, and you know, uh, my condolences to the friends family out there of the Sawyer family. Buzz gone 30 years ago, 
And now Brett Sawyer passing away as well. So the Sawyer brothers, no more here. The Woyan brothers, or however you pronounce that, uh, gone from the uh, you know wrestling uh, business. But uh, their memories will live on forever, thanks to all these videos. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, podcasts like ours, reliving the old days, the videos and everything, you know, they they played an important role in wrestling history during the 80s. So we get back to the ring. It is Brett Sawyer taking on Gustavo Mendoza. And Brett going to take Gustavo down to the mat and immediately begins to showcase his mat wrestling skills. Sawyer had a little bit of that, too. Mendoza, though, finally able to take over with some chicanery going to the eyes and throat of Sawyer, but missing a diving headbutt off the middle rope. Sawyer going to come fighting back, pair of nice-looking drop kicks and a flying splash off the ropes, going to give Brett the win. Three minutes and 54 seconds. Nice, quick squash match on TV, to a degree squash match. Uh, I thought, you know, both guys look good in this, and Brett, you know, everybody did what they were supposed to do. Exactly, you know, and I don't know how much the Cowboy listened to wrestlers back in the day, but, you know, just thinking about this, if I was a wrestler... And, you know, they were going to have me with an enhancement talent. I would be trying to whisper and watch his ears like, you know, let me let me wrestle against Mendoza. You know, Mendoza was one of those guys oh, that yeah. could just make you look good. <laughs> and uh, Oh, yeah. I, I don't know how much Cowboy listened to that. I mean, you know, he kind of ruled with an iron fist from, you know, all reports and, you know, was a bully and a tyrant and this and that. But if if he did listen at all to a wrestler and I was a wrestler, I'd be like, yeah, let, let me go against Mendoza. That I would think be one of my guys my that easily had the Cowboys here. I'm sure if a Ted DiBiase walked in and said, hey, Bill, let me Doc. work this guy this week. Yeah, oh, sure. Let me work this guy this week. He's going to make me look like a million bucks. And, you know, he's good. I'm sure I'm sure that wouldn't have been an issue. Now, you know, if maybe if Brett Sawyer had went in there and said, hey, hey, Bill, I mean, Mr. Watts, can I can I please work Gustavo this week, you know? Bill would probably, if the match was scheduled, he'd probably change it because because he just wanted to didn't want him to think that he got his way. Right? Yeah, I could see Watts going. Well, there's the door right there. If you don't like it, <laughs> it's commercial break time again. And you talked about them selling some fantastic shirts, the hacksaw shirts, things of that nature. Well, during this break, I saw Top Gun coming to a theater near you. Top Gun. I was a huge Clarence Gilliard fan. Sundown from Top Gun, Theo, the computer tech in the original Die Hard movie. He was uh, P.I., Conrad McMasters on Matlock. And finally, James Trevett on Walker, Texas Ranger. Had to throw that out there, give a shout out, because Gilliard recently passed away as well. A fine actor. I always enjoyed his character no matter what he was on. Do you remember watching Top Gun when it came out, or were you not interested in that type of movie? Uh, Well, this might shock people, but I've never seen it. And really? I know there's never I when it when it comes when it comes to movies I'm a little behind I didn't see E T till about six years ago. Okay, so, I'm gonna yeah, blow everybody's mind. Movies, I was an '80s kid, Roman, and I've still never watched E T. How about that one? Wow. I'll okay. Blow your mind. Uh, well, that makes me feel better because people are like, "What in the world were you?" I went on an '80s kick about six years ago and finally saw, you know, the Goonies, all that sure. stuff. E T. But, but yeah, there's so many movies I just haven't seen. I, you know, I don't know. I'm just not a go to the movie type of guy. Man. It's I all guess. that wrestling, man. That's all. <laughs> gotta make, gotta <laughs> nah, make time for wait, the, wait, the baseball team. Wait, wait till. Wait till they come on TV, you know. I mean, I, I go to the movies once in a blue moon, but yeah, I just yeah, never seen Top Gun. <laughs> I've lived this long without it. I guess I can live a, a little while longer. Oh, we learn something new every day. Very cool, yeah. <laughs> very cool deal. Hey, you got you know. I'm trying to stay off topic, but when I met my wife, I don't know, it was a year or two in. To we've been together like 17 years. She had informed me she had never seen The Wizard of Oz in in, in full, like the whole movie, and I, it blew my mind mm-hmm. how that was even possible. But I guess it is. 
Millennials are yeah, going, yeah, yeah, dude, I don't watch that show. But, <laughs> but my wife, you know, born in my era, I, it blew my mind. It was on, you know, TV every right. year. It was like yeah, the go-to. So, yeah, it's just weird things sometimes, certain things people haven't seen that are, you know, have been credited as being the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, people at work will quote a line from a movie, and they'll look at me and snicker and kind of give me an elbow, like, that was a good one, huh? And I'm like, what's that from? And they'll name the movie. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, I've heard of the movie. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll never replace Siskel and Ebert. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> All right, guys, back to the wrestling talk. I apologize. We're going to sidetrack sometimes, have a little fun. Um, so back to the show, and it is indeed confirmed. The fabulous Freebirds, all three of them, coming to a ring near you. It's off to a really well-put-together segment here, Roman. It starts off with a clip of the Freebirds, their Bad Street music video, as Joel Watts does a voiceover putting over the Freebirds, and not only what they've meant to the wrestling industry, but also, apparently, rock and roll as well. The video then cuts to the birds arriving at the Tulsa International Airport and hopping into a limo. We hear them speak inside the limo on their way to the UWF offices. They talk about some of the stars here in the UWF, like Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Ted DiBiase, even mocking the angle they did with Teddy back in Georgia, 1981. Shout out to Jamie Ward there. So uh, finally, the birds arrive to UWF offices and take a seat across from the big wig Bill Watts. The birds carefully looking over their 16-page contract they put together with the UWF. And now it's time for the formalized signing, says the cowboy. Of course, he would call it something. It's not just signing a contract. It's a formalized signing. So says Bill Watts. As a Michael Hayes going to look it over, the wrestling requests have been applied, the limos, the music arrangements, the videos have been agreed to, and the Freebirds even have life insurance. I wrote, oh man, that is risky, cowboy. Even the Freebirds have a laugh at the thought that the fact that Bill Watts would give them life insurance. Yeah, this was such a great segment, and it was so... I don't want to say trendsetting, but it was different. You know, it was such because they they announced the Freebirds coming in. They announced that it's a big deal, and they did all the bells and whistles with it. The limo picking them up, and then hearing the Freebirds in the limo. You know, Hayes bragging about the contract, all the women they right. have. Yeah, I mean, they're playing it up like they are major, major superstars. Hulk Hogan, which is awesome. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's nobody bigger than the fabulous Freebirds. The way this video is put together. Really well done. I'm sure Joel Watts had a lot to do with the editing and things. I don't know who really put this idea together, but it's really well done. And I just had to pop, though, when they when they snicker at the fact that Bill Watts was, quote-unquote, stupid enough to give them life insurance. It's the freaking Freebirds, guys. I mean, you talk about all the other people that have to heighten their real-life persona. You know, they say, you know, the best characters are those. With, it's, a, it's a person, their regular persona, kicked up a notch, right? Well, the Freebirds had to dumb down maybe their their persona a little bit for television because the real Freebirds probably wouldn't have made air here in 1986. But to give them life insurance? Eh, I don't know, man. Well, Hazen even said they called him Buddy Jack Roberts because <laughs> right. of his affinity for Jack Daniels. You know, that tells you the type of lifestyle they had. But the segment, and I love the fact that they mentioned that they hurt DiBiase in 81. Oh, yeah. You know, just, just not to sweep their past history under the rug. It makes it seem like they're coming back here to, you know, settle some un unfinished business and everything. Just the video, them talking. And to me, it was comical to see Hayes go over 
all 15 pages one by one and like, wait right. a minute, wait a minute, you know, like just kind of like, like, you know, like he was an attorney or something, you know, it would have been, it, to me, it would have been great if they had their own attorney type there, you know, to go over it. But it was just a great segment. It made the Freebirds seem like a big deal, which they were. I was excited when I, I knew they were coming in. I think most wrestling fans were because where they go, you know, you're going to see main event type matches. You're going to see all kinds of excitement. I wasn't expecting Hayes to do such a great job on commentary. That was a bonus sure. as the weeks uh, go go on. But this was just an awesome segment. You know, uh, I said I wasn't Siskel and Ebert, but on this segment, I will. I give it two thumbs up. <laughs> there you go. All right. Very cool. So, you know, Bill Watts was a big proponent of telling, you know, telling history during storylines. You know, if you go back to the Georgia stuff I do with Jamie in 81, they're going back to 1980 in Mid-South to tell the story of the Junkyard Dog and the Freebirds, which moves over to 1981. And, of course, the Freebirds now here in the UWF, Ted DiBiase here in the UWF, and Bill Watts had a big hand in booking the angle in 81 in Georgia between the Birds and DiBiase. So, of course, goes back to history again, bringing it up subtly. Uh, but it was still very cool because maybe a lot of newer fans are like, what is he talking about? But it's there for those who do. And it was on TBS. Just a really cool deal there. And and I was just going to say it was it was nice as a fan to not insult our intelligence. You know, those of us that had cable, we or, or read the magazines, we knew the history sure. of the Freebirds and DiBiase. So it would have been an insult if you had Hayes versus DiBiase on a match and go, yeah, these two have never met or they're unfamiliar with each. You know, like you know, you think about Gorilla Monsoon during the Hogan Andre. You know. It, Everybody knew they wrestled at Shea Stadium and they wrestled around the horn at that time. But, you know, in WrestleMania three, oh, these two have never met. And I'm like, well, you know, you're kind of insulting people's intelligence that knew they had met in the ring. Yeah, well, Vince would do that constantly. If it happened a year ago, it never happened. I mean, he, he right. that's what he thought of the wrestling fan's mind. I mean, that's just, you know, that was just his logic, of course. Medical facility, pal. But that's uh, another mm. another story for another day. So uh, Freebirds have apparently going to sign here with the UWF. Most of all, the financial arrangements, this is the big part here on the contract, have been applied. A cool $1 million. So everything does indeed appear to be in order as the birds begin to sign one by one. Michael Hayes first, followed by Terry Gordy, and finally, Buddy Roberts. And look at that. Even Ken Mantell there signing on as a witness. As it appears, yes, indeed. The boys are indeed back in town. And how smart are the Freebirds? They didn't even have to wrestle in the Crockett Cup. There you go. Four teams to win the million. They just come in and they're, they're millionaires. Millionaires, there you go. But they got to split it three ways. Hawk and Animal had to split yeah. it too. Yeah, well. And then, you know, Gordy and Roberts, I'm not sure how well they are at math. So Michael Hayes, who knows what he made out of that. But uh, <laughs> we'll continue on. Headed to a commercial break. It's localized promos. UWF upcoming to Baton Rouge at the Centroplex, May the 13th. And oh yes, it's ladies' night. Not quite sure what that means. As we head off right now, we're going to hear a few promos hyping this event. First, it's going to be six-man tag team action. We're going to hear from the Sheep Herders and Jack Victory. They'll be taking on the team of Terry Taylor and the Fantastics. We'll also be hearing from Hacksaw Duggan as he prepares for battle against Kamala. Whoa! Hey, listen here, you three Yankee pretty boys. Fantastics and Jack Taylor. Three of you in the ring against the sheep and our man Jack Victory. Well, we're going to show you New Zealand style how we chop up Yanks. We're going back for the loss of the belts and the prize balls. So get there in the ring and take it like the cowards that you are. Oh, yeah. 
six-man tag, one of the most dangerous matches in professional wrestling because there's so many guys and anything can happen. In a situation like that, it calls for drastic measures. So what I did is I found the two toughest guys in professional wrestling, not the biggest, the toughest. Exactly. And we're going to take care of the Sheepers and Jack Victory, right guys? Well, I'll tell you, Terry, you know we can think of no better opportunity than right here than to us three to get together because let me tell you, Sheepers, we are three fighting dogs and that's red-blooded Americans, brother, and we're going to fire it up because let me say something right now, Sheepers, a lot of things have happened, Victory, a lot of things have happened, a lot of things are going to happen in that six-man tag. Ain't that America? That's going to be a tremendous six-man matchup. Plus, don't you miss during our ladies' night. Remember, ladies, admitted to general mission for only $1. Hacksaw Duggan collides with Kamala. Listen to this from the Hacksaw. You know, when I come out here and I have to talk about the Ugandan giant, I have to talk about Kamala. Oh, Hacksaw, I'm a fun-loving guy. But when I have to come out here and I got to talk about that man, well, I kind of put fun in the back seat. Because Kamala, he's a big man, he's a rough man, he's a tough man. But he was also instrumental in hurting me, almost blinding me, him and Skandar Akbar. So Kamala, you're back here, you're back in the UWF. Well, baby, you're going to find yourself in big trouble, tough guy. So there it is, ladies' night. I thought that was every night here in the Territory era. Well, for the for the Rock and Roll Express and Taylor and the baby faces, every night was ladies' night, I'm sure. <laughs> I think the heels even got some, well, never mind, guys. We'll continue yeah. on with the show. It's Corsita Korchenko in the ring with Eddie Gilbert by his side, taking on Tracy Smothers. The crowd is awesome. It's even Smothers here. This week gets a huge pop for this new set of tapings. As the Russian attacks Tracy, Skandor Akbar oddly arrives ringside looking to maybe discuss some business here with Eddie Gilbert outside the ring. Meanwhile, Korchenko with a big boot and a Ken Patera-style body toss on Smothers. Then it's the -the over-the-shoulder backbreaker dropping down to his knees, making the cover, or scores the win. Post-match, Korchenko then burying Smothers in that Russian flag as Skandor Akbar is seen approving of it on the floor. Uh, The plot thickens. Kurchenko, it, it's amazing that he would be in demand, you know, like uh, what, what is, <laughs> of what all is people come on, Scott. What, I can see if Akbar came out there to see, I'm just out here to see if he's really as bad as everybody says he is guys. I'm just <laughs> for everybody that takes everything seriously from the territory era, guys, it's okay to have a little fun sometimes here on the show. Yeah. For the, for the guy that was eating hot dogs with a bib the other day, he's <laughs> he's in quite demand. There you go. Thank you, Roman. As uh, we go on with the show, Chavo Guerrero and Dave Peterson teaming up to take on Rick Steiner and his mentor, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. And Akbar once again out scouting at ringside. Clearly, he's immediately the new number one manager here in the UWF, scouting all of the talent, bringing Kamala with him. But he's looking at, well, Korchenko, who's currently also in line for North American title shots with Duggan. Now he's looking at this team, oh my God, of world beaters. Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner as Sawyer takes a high backdrop from Peterson to start out the match, then takes that crazy ass mad dog upside down bump out to the ropes. Never gets old. Insane every time. And as the action continues on, the very first clue pops up for the UWF trivia game. His childhood nickname was Moose. So the first of four clues in this trivia contest here in the UWF was his nickname in high school was Moose, or, or sorry, his childhood nickname was Moose. Have you figured it out yet, Roman? Not yet. Not yet, okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to cheat and tell you guys, I only figured it out because early on in his career, they actually added that prefix, that moniker, if you will, to his name once upon a time. 
So that's why I've already got it figured out. It, it, it becomes crystal clear, guys, very quickly. But as this match goes on, and in case you guys forgot, it was Chavo Guerrero and Peterson against Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner. Uh, for never teaming before, the babyfaces impress early on, gaining control with quick tags. Uh, the babyfaces dominating things until it breaks down into a four-way melee. Chavo dropkicking Buzz Sawyer from the ring while Peterson makes the cover on Rick Steiner. Buzz tries to come off the top rope onto Peterson, but Chavo shoving the mad dog off the top rope, launching him into the middle of the ring with a somersault bump. Down goes Buzz Sawyer. The referee gets busy with Buzz, misses Chavo coming off the top ropes. That's illegal, Chavo. Those damn Guerreros lying, cheating, and stealing. Chavo landing on top of Rick Steiner, and Peterson again makes the cover. This time the baby faces surprising me here. They pick up the win. Four minutes and 17 seconds. You know, despite the fact that Chavo and Peterson being new to teaming, they made you believe that they could actually upset Sawyer and Steiner. Right. So I, I, that's what, to me, made this a good match. Now, they were really good with that here in the Mid-South Territory always. Some of these guys, you know, going in, we talked about that several weeks ago, that Tracy Smothers-Dick Slater match. It was believable once it got going and Tracy was able to counter this and that. Maybe he wasn't going to win, but you believed more because of, of the actual the, the wrestling that they showed. And that's what happened here was I didn't expect anything. In fact, I thought, why is Chavo teaming with Peterson? They're clearly going to lose. Boy, was I wrong. And, and that's, that's what made it, it fun back then. You know, wrestling forever. You know, people are like, oh, you can tell who's going to win. You know, the 400-pound guy is going to beat the 200-pound guy. You know, they would look at the TV matches. The novice fans or whatever would think they got everything figured out. And that's what was nice a lot of times in Bill Watts territory. Surprising things could happen, you know. And, and like you said, this match, you actually felt like Chavo and Peterson had a chance. So the baby faces go over. That was surprise enough, but it's even a bigger surprise when you consider the fact that Dave Peterson is already gone from the company by the time this airs. The good guys, though, they pick up the win here. Uh, Up-and-coming heel unit of Rick Steiner and Buzz Sawyer go down. I just didn't understand that booking logic, but then this happens. Post-match, Buzz Sawyer on the house mic. Everybody saw Chavo Guerrero cheat come off that top rope. Never mind the fact that Buzz tried to do it first, Roman. Buzz asks, why doesn't Chavo get back in the ring and do it one-on-one, tough guy? And naturally, Guerrero, he agrees to it. And away we go. Referee Tommy Gilbert for a one-on-one matchup, Chavo Guerrero and Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Anytime you can get a bonus impromptu or whatever, it was it was a big deal. It was a treat, you know? So even if it was 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, whatever, just you as a fan, whenever you got something a little extra that wasn't advertised, you, you felt like it was it was special. Oh, it was icing on the cake, and even though TV was free, you felt like you got your money's worth whenever they did something like this. Exactly, and that's what made being a fan fun back then. You know, it was the the impromptu stuff was always great in any territory when you somebody came out and challenged somebody, and it wasn't expected. Buzz Sawyer calling out Chavo Guerrero, asking him for a matchup here, one on one, and Chavo agrees to it, jumping back in the ring, coming right at Buzz, lefts and rights thrown. But it takes almost no time before Rick Steiner returns from the locker room with the logging chain, Buzz Sawyer's big chain, attacking Guerrero from behind with it, drawing a disqualification in just 20 seconds time. So we thought we were getting a match, but in fact, we're about to get an angle. And a good angle. You know, it's nice to see 
the Russian chain or a chain or logging sure. chain, you know, just something coming to play. And the fans hated seeing dastardly deeds done like that. And it made you want to come to the arena to see the rematch or to see the, what else Chavo had up his sleeve to try to fight against Sawyer and company. So it likely was all a setup. Buzz Sawyer coaxing Chavo to get back in the ring. Rick Steiner returning with the chain, the dog chain, I guess. Attacking Chavo from behind. The heel duo quickly beating Chavo down with it, wrapping the chain around his neck, tossing him over the top rope, and both heels grabbing a side of the chain and hanging Guerrero with it. Pulling back, trying to choke the life out of Chavo here, when finally Dave Peterson comes rushing back from the locker room to help Guerrero out, elevating his body to alleviate the hanging. The heels finally released the chain, but the damage here was done. I just thought it was weird that Peterson had went back towards the locker room to leave his partner <laughs> there. Like, I I thought they could have done something a little different. You know, maybe if they attacked Peterson after the bell, or after the match, rather, left him laying, and then attacked Chavo. But it's just kind of like, okay, you're supposed to be a team, so you leave your partner in the ring with, with two dastardly heels? Like, yeah. I, I don't know, it may, it may be minor or petty, but it was just something that came to my mind. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, what if Peterson was outside the ring, Rick Steiner comes back, busts him in the back of the head with the chain. Then they hit the ring and they do the deal with Chavo. I get what you're saying. Hindsight 2020, obviously. Right. Give a reason for Peterson to be at ringside still, but why he can't help immediately. But, you know, he recovers and he eventually helps Chavo from being hanged over the top rope. I get what you're saying. And it's very uncowboy like to do that as well. Yeah, he, he liked things to make sense. sense and, right. you know, I mean, that, that's why we're here. We're here to critique and, you know, make our viewpoints. And that was just a viewpoint of mine. And, uh, yeah, it is kind of weird. Like you had mentioned that Peterson leaves the territory. So why are they letting him get a win on the way out against Sawyer and Steiner, who were Sawyer was a proven commodity. Steiner was improving, you know, leaps and bounds. And just kind of weird to have a makeshift team of Peterson and Chavo. Right beat Sawyer and Steiner when Peterson's leaving. So it looks like we're heading into uh, Chavo Buzz Sawyer feud. These guys are already wrestling a couple of times, I believe, down in Houston. Yeah. So uh, it looks like maybe for the short term, but we got something going on here to introduce Chavo full-time to the company, but at the same time gives Buzz Sawyer something to do with that TV title. You know, two two veterans like that, Sawyer and and Chavo, were going to have good matches around the horn. And, you know, so it, it was good to go in that direction. Up next here, we head into a commercial break. More localized promos from the Baton Rouge Centroplex coming May the 13th. And did I mention, guys, it's it's ladies' night. On the card, we're going to hear from Korchenko and Eddie Gilbert slated to tag team up against the team of Coco Beware and Dr. Death Steve Williams. We've seen them together as of late with Ted DiBiase gone off to Japan. That'll change as DiBiase is back right now. We're also going to hear from Eddie Gilbert and his man Sting, the Stinger, scheduled to take on DiBiase. Now, this is the 1986 thing, guys, so don't get, don't get your panties in a bunch. Don't get excited. Uh, but Sting, upcoming against Ted DiBiase, here are the promos. Oh, yeah, I guess everybody's happy now. Everybody has heard about this great match coming up with Dr. Ness, Steve Williams, and Coco Beware teaming up to go against my great Russian, the greatest wrestler in wrestling, Korchenko, and his partner being myself. Hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. Yes, that's right, people. I am putting back on the tights, back on the boots, back on with a tuxedo, and I'm coming in the ring with Korchenko. Dr. Death, you're going to meet the greatest challenge of your life in Korchenko, buddy. I can't wait to sit when you go down, brother. And Coco, beware. I myself will take care of you. 
Well, well, Birdman, Korchenko and Gilbert. All right, brother. One of the biggest men in Russia, the biggest man in USA yes, right sir. now. What do you think? Six, six, three hundred fifty pounds, and then he's got that little weasel telling him what to do, yeah. which way to go. <laughs> well, let me tell you, we don't have to tell each other which way to go or which way to do it. We just get the job done, right, Birdman? That's right, Doctor. All I want you to do is take Kurt Kochinko and give it you a mind because I'm gonna beat you so bad that your own mama won't even recognize you when you go home. Remember, it's our first annual ladies' night on Tuesday night, May 13th, 7.30 starting time at the Centroplex. All ladies will be admitted to general mission for only $1. And you're going to see Ted DiBiase return to go against Blade Runner Sting. That should be a tremendous one-on-one -on -one confrontation. Ted DiBiase returns to Baton Rouge on this date, and Hot Step Eddie Gilbert had this to say. Oh yeah, everybody's sitting at home, they're cheering right now, they're happy, they just heard that the All-American boy, Ted DiBiase, is coming back to the Universal Wrestling Federation with Ted DiBiase, we already know all about yeah. you, you come out, you're born in the USA, everybody stands up, cheers you, they love you, you've been the North American Heavyweight Champion, you've been the TV Champion, you've been the Tag Team Champion, you've done it all! But you have not done one thing in your career, and that is stepped into yeah. the ring with a man like yeah. Sting or Blade Runner. Because this time, my friend, you will be beat. So the Baton Rouge show uh, shaping up to be quite a card. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, and you know, when you were talking about ladies' night, it reminded me of a phrase that Bill Watts used to say. You know, when the attendance was down, he would always say, "Well, where are the blowjobs?" You know, and to expand on that, he was saying like. You know, if you have a territory full of big, ugly men, you know, Kamala, one-man gang, whatever, it's like chances are the women are not going to want to come out. So, oh, you know, right. you get the Rock and Roll Express, Terry Taylor, Fantastic. the Magnus CAs, the, the heartthrob types. Now, sure. all of a sudden, you're doubling your attendance because women want to come out to look at the guys that they think are hunks. So that's kind of probably along the lines of ladies' night, you know, like, let's cater to them so we can keep having them come to the arena. And that, in turn, will, as just like the bars, the ladies' night will always bring in the guys as well. Exactly, exactly. You're doubling your, your, uh, your attendance. Uh, as we go on with the show, up next, Ted DiBiase music video. Many current fans will know this is Ronda Rousey's theme. It's Bad Reputation by Joan Jett, promoting DiBiase's return from All Japan. And I don't know if any current fans are like me, but when Rousey had the bad reputation, it pissed me off. <laughs> you know, I didn't like her as the rowdy Rondi. I'm like, no, it's rowdy Roddy Piper, you know, and then the bad reputation, because this is what I remember, the Ted DiBiase version, you know, and and uh, I I always liked this video. I always liked the, the song and just it was a good song that went with DiBiase. Later on, Bill Dundee did it in Memphis and it wasn't bad when, you know, the vignettes they did with him. But when I think of Bad Reputation, I don't think of Ronda Rousey, the woman that was crying after she lost a, a fight, you know, and threatening to commit suicide. And I, I think of Ted DiBiase. So this, seeing this brought back good memories. You know, I always yeah. liked this video. A lot of things went awry with Rousey's run. She had her first couple matches. I don't know how choreographed they were in advance. They were really good. First two or three matches she had. Then after that, that it just kind of all fell apart for me. The fans kind of saw it. They turned on her. She didn't really appreciate the fans after that. The music really never fit her. The gimmick really never fit her. But I, no. I appreciated what she had done in MMA. And I thought the first two or three matches she had were really well you know, done, choreographed, I have to say, I guess. But they were really well done. She was really good. And then it, everything just kind of fell apart for me. And I just I lost interest myself. But I, I agree with you, man. The music never really fit her. And, uh, but I do always go back and think about this music video here with Ted DiBiase. 
who is a babyface with a bad reputation for, for very good reason, of course. As we go back to ringside, it's an interview Jim Ross conducting with Skandor Akbar. Akbar back scouting talent. And I, I got to stop this for a second, guys. I apologize because it's near the end of October. Our grass has already stopped growing for the year for the most part. But my neighbor has nothing to do. So he's out here every, I don't know, almost, almost every week cutting grass right up against my house. He's doing it right now. So if you hear any buzzing in the background, you know what it is. I do apologize. Should be over shortly. Sorry about that, Roman. I just wanted everybody to know. Mm. I didn't want to not acknowledge what the hell. Anybody listening, what the hell is that? So that's what it is. It's my neighbor cutting grass, and it should be over shortly. Well, if he wants to make a couple extra bucks, tell him to come over to my house. He can finish uh, <laughs> whacking the weeds. I I was whacking him in between innings during the baseball game. I've been working so much, I hadn't had time to watch the the games, and I needed some lawn work. And I go, well, shoot, every every uh, commercial break, I'd go outside for two minutes and <laughs> and knock down the weeds, and then run back in and watch the playoffs. You know, sometimes you have to multitask in life. <laughs> Oh, man. So, all right, guys, I just wanted to get that out of the way because it was really starting to irritate me here for the last few minutes. He keeps riding up by the house. But anyways, we head back to the ringside interview here. Jim Ross standing by with the manager, Skandor Akbar, who is indeed back and clearly scouting talent. Who is he scouting? That's his business, Roman. Just know that Akbar is indeed back. And Skandor Akbar, I don't know about you, but he was one of my all-time favorite managers, probably because I got to see him four days a week on ESPN. Yeah, he he wasn't afraid to throw the fireball either, you know. Ak- Akbar used to be a wrestler, you know, the camel clutch and everything, and uh, definitely knew how to get some heat. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I, I was a huge Akbar fan. I always waited for him to get to the WWF, never happened. Then, of course, boom, General Adnan pops up there. I'm sure that would have been interesting to see Akbar in that spot, but we're talking different countries, I guess, and it made more sense with Adnan, but eh, potato, potato, it's pro wrestling. As the show continues on, commercial time again, as we see the Rock and Roll Express promote the back and neck clinic of Baton Rouge. I think they got some uh, free chiropractic there. I was going to say, back then, <laughs> you know, wrestlers didn't have the hefty contracts. So, you know, you had to chill and hustle and do whatever you can. They they probably made a couple bucks. And like you, like you said, probably if they had a bad back or neck, just go into these places you're advertising for my god yeah a professional wrestler with a bad back or neck i mean seems logical hey we'll do a commercial for you no problem heck yeah so it was just funny heck watching yeah. ricky and robert shill a back and neck clinic and you gotta you gotta think too i love the name they put a lot of thought into that 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 clinic the back and neck clinic of baton rouge no fancy names yeah. or anything just straight into the point yeah i wonder <laughs> if they got that patent or copyrighted or whatever <laughs> the back and neck clinic that's pretty original yeah put a lot of thought into that puppy feature match time here on the show uwf tag team champions fantastics once again taking on the sheep herders former champions luke and butch accompanied to the ring by jack victory and lady maxine but the champs they aren't alone either terry taylor and dr death steve williams going to join the fantastics in their corner for this matchup and we don't get the usual 10-minute fantastic entrance here either, thank God. Slapping hands with the fans, hugging the ladies. It's straight into the ring where they clear the herders out. Doc then getting on the house mic. He says while Taylor watches Jack Victory, Doc will watch whatever that is, referring to Lady Maxine. And Williams sits Max in a seat at ringside, then sits alongside her as we take a commercial break. Back from break, Taylor and Doc not going to let what happened to them Happened to the Fantastics here, talking about that outside interference from Lady Maxine. 
Yeah, and when Doc gets on the mic and says that, you know, the crowd pops. Of course they yeah, They want to see fair play, of course, you know. Like, yeah, we're going to see some justice. They're, they're not going to be able to cheat, you know. They, they got all the bases covered now. As the action gets going, Bobby Fulton, Luke Williams, get it going hot and heavy right away. Sheep herders try for a double team, but eat a double drop kick from the Fantastics, sending Luke to the floor and Butch following out as well. Champions in total control early on. But as the match goes on, Tommy Rogers landing a Samoan drop on Luke Williams. You got to tuck that arm, Luke. It could have been disastrous the way he landed there on that Samoan drop, Luke Williams. But finally, the herder is going to take over after Tommy Rogers taking a nasty spill through the ropes out to the floor, courtesy of Butch Miller. And then Luke going to send Tommy into the steel rail and steel post, busting him wide open. Meanwhile, on the outside, Terry Taylor and Dr. Death keeping a close eye on both Victory and Lady Maxine, keeping them at bay. But the herders cheating where they can to maintain control inside the ring as the challengers use double-team tactics to keep Tommy Rogers grounded to the mat. But they can't keep him down. Can't keep a good man down, Roman. Finally, Tommy Rogers able to make the hot tag out to Bobby Fulton. And Fulton in and on fire against both sheep herders. And it leads to a four-way melee, a four-way brawl here. Victory then up on the apron with the flagpole. But Terry Taylor there to knock him off. Dr. Death seen daring Lady Maxine to make a move out of that seat. And Roman, she doesn't move. But it's still a four-way melee in the ring between the champions and challengers. But we're out of time, pal. Come to the arena live for this awesome action. Nine minutes of this matchup shown here. Great for TV. And what a time to be a fan. You know, I can speak for myself. Fantastics versus Sheep Herders never came to my neck of the woods. So this, I had to enjoy every second of this, you know, and I, it was great to see this. And the spot where Rogers got thrown into the ring post, he immediately crawled under the ring. And I thought, oh, here comes the blade job, you know, and, uh, and yeah, he ended up bleeding. And it was just, it was pandemonium, all kinds of action. And when Watts is telling you how much time is left, you knew like, eh, I'm not going to see a finish. You know, so you were trying to soak in every moment. You were hoping to see a finish, but you knew deep down you wouldn't see a finish when they start the, the clock countdown. Yeah, when, when you they know, start warning you, right, right, right. Yep. So for me, a lot of the times, both in Crockett and even here in Watts, they would show these big-time main event-type matches, and we wouldn't get the finish, and I would be really bummed, even angry, at the fact that I didn't get yes. uh, growing up as a kid. But in this specific instance, we get nine minutes of the matchup, all action, great fun time. I really wasn't as upset here, but probably because I know we're going to see some big-time payoff matches still to come between these two. But I, I wasn't as upset here this week. I felt like we got a lot of quality wrestling. It wasn't like three minutes, and then we got to go. You know, like you said, with Crockett, a lot of times, you know, they would have something like Ivan in the ring, and then Dusty would climb through the ropes, and, oh, we're out of time. And I'm like, why would they even show, you know, eight seconds of it. You know, why do that to us? So so to get back to what we were talking about earlier, that's why the impromptu matches, you felt like you were getting uh, a, a reward or something. Like all right. the times you got screwed over not seeing a TV main event, like now we're finally getting something. So the impromptus were big. But yeah, to see all six men in the ring fighting as they went off the air, pandemonium, chaos, and just... And, you know, it leads to the Fantastics and Terry Taylor versus Sheepers and Victory matches down the road on the circuit. There's a barbed wire match with those six men that we'll talk about on a, a episode of Power Pro Wrestling down the road. But just all kinds of excitement, you know. And even though we didn't get to see a, a finish, 
like Ray had alluded to, we did get nine minutes, so you felt like you got something. You didn't feel cheated, and it was action-packed, and you, you were glad you were able to see it. All right, that'll wrap up UWF-TV, so we're getting down to the nitty-gritty now. May the 4th, Power Pro, Jim Ross hosting as Throwback Mania, running wild this week, throwback after throwback match here on the program. Kicking things off right away, another Chavo Guerrero match. We saw him in Rip Rogers last week on Power Pro. This week, it's Jesse Barr, the future Jimmy Jack, or current by this point, I believe, Jimmy Jack Funk, joined in progress also from the Sam Houston Coliseum. Paul Bosch on commentary. Fun little matchup with five minutes shown. Is Chavo going to pick up a win with a bridging German suplex? And you'll notice two weeks in a row, Power Pro starting to showcase Chavo. We saw the angle on the main TV with Buzz Sawyer, but first Rip Rogers, now Jesse Barr. And that's not by mistake, guys. Chavo Guerrero, one of the many new names now full-time with the UWF, and we've seen it with the Freebirds the last several weeks. Bill Watts would like to incorporate guys in some of their past history, their past matches, to build them up before they even arrive. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, the, the Mantel factor, you know, we've talked about before. You're going to start seeing an influx of world-class guys coming in, you know, yes. the missing link, the Tatum, the victory, and uh, and whatnot. So, you know, you don't ever want a wrestling promotion to get stale. You know, you don't want to be like, oh, we've seen this guy five billion times. You know, like you want new guys coming in, new angles, new talents. So, yeah, I've got no problem with them showcasing Chavo Guerrero at all. More action throw back to Irish McNeil, the spring of 1985. Kamala with Skandor Akbar and Friday in his corner, taking on David Diamond here. Kamala just eats Diamond alive. Big splash going to end that one in just 30 seconds. And then back in the host area, Jim Ross states that Akbar is looking to add even more talent and randomly name drops perhaps the one-man gang. And they're not name dropping him by coincidence here. Yeah, yeah. If they're going to mention a name like that, you you have to figure he's going to figure in prominently. Like they're not just going to randomly throw a name out and and make people wonder is he coming in and then not bring him in. Kind of reminded me when Tony Schiavone ruined it for me as a kid. Halloween Havoc '91, the Z Man in the ring against the Halloween Phantom, who delivers a you know Hangman's neckbreaker for the quick finish, and Tony randomly just blurts out, you know, I don't know if I can say this, but in some you know places that's known as the Rude Awakening. You know, a couple segments later, unmasking, ravishing Rick Rude. It's like, Tony, did you have to ruin it for me? Exactly. I, <laughs> I know the exact part you're talking about. And, you know, we, we think alike. Because right when he said that, I was like, come on, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, show goes on. Power Pro here. Throwback to September 22nd, 1985. It's the Fantastics taking it on Bill Dundee and Dutch Mantel. Shoe Baby in the corner. For those wondering who Shoe Baby is, Roman, why don't you tell him? It is his bullwhip. The bullwhip of one Dutch Mantel. wonder if he still has Shoe Baby hung up somewhere in the background. I, I never noticed on his uh, little video cast he does. I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I haven't listened to his podcast. I've heard good things about it. I'll have to give it a shot. But yeah, Dundee and Mantel, you know, would very underrated. You know, I, I didn't realize how talented Dundee was until I started doing compilations for him, you know, and I started yeah. watching his paying more and more attention because we didn't get Memphis where I grew right. up. You know, it wasn't until years later, the tape trading that I was able to get more exposed to him, but man, he got the most out of what he could with his ability. And Mantel was very underrated. I thought too. And uh, yeah, that would have been fun to see them as a tag team longer than what they were. No, I agree. It's just like with Bill and you know Bill Dundee and Buddy Landell. I mean, this is some really good, uh, hard-nosed oh. uh, wrestling action. You know, you get to hear the Fantastics against these guys that know exactly what they're doing. As we see here in this matchup, 
Joel Watts on commentary for this one. Really fun old school tag team match all the way through. The way it should be, if you ask me, Roman. Sees Dutch Mantel accidentally come off the ropes with a knee drop onto his partner Bill Dundee late in the match. Fantastic's going to capitalize, making the cover, getting the win, and the full match is shown. Match went 16 minutes, and I wrote, what a great match to fill some TV time. Uh, Get your champions over and give the viewers some really good uh, wrestling action for television. And, you know, and it didn't hurt Dundee and Mantel, you know, when they went in different angles or different stories, like whatever, it showed that they were formidable opponents. You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing that's kind of lost among current, you know, when you hear guys, Oh, I don't want a job to this guy, or I'm better than this. You would like, you can lose a match and still look good. You know, like it's, it's not that hard to figure out. Yeah. I mean, Arn Anderson, Probably lost more matches than he won, but whenever he walked through the curtain, I was excited to see him. You know, you knew you were going to get a good match out of him. Good point there. Arn is a great example. You're right. Uh, Based on where he was, you know, in the pecking order, but also the talent that he he worked against. So that's a good point. And uh, yeah, you come out, you know, looking good, uh, win or lose, because those really good matches, the really good stories, you kind of forget who wins and loses. I mean, you may remember actually who wins and loses, but you're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about what a great match. Yeah, and that that is a fan that that is all I ever wanted. You know, I mean, yeah, of course it's nice. You have your favorites, and you want certain right. guys to do well or whatever. But if I see a good match and and my guy loses or my favorite lose, hey, if I saw a good match, I felt like I won. You know, like I I, I was happy with it. Oh, totally agree. As uh, Power Pro goes on, a quick Michael Hayes promo putting over the return of the fabulous Freebirds, the UWF signing them to a one million dollar contract. See, uh, they didn't even have to be in that Crockett Cup, as you pointed out. So Michael Hayes, the uh, the thinker, I suppose, didn't even participate in the tournament. And yeah, they're on the on par with the Road Warriors. So we know where the Road Warriors are. They're, they've been world tag team champions. They've won the Crockett Cup. They're on top of the world there on TBS. And now we learn the Freebirds have, are making as much money as they are. So they've got to be just as good. You know, I wonder just off topic a little bit. I wonder if that was that all the plan was for Hayes to come in and do commentary or if it was just something they tried him one night and it clicked or I've never heard him talk about that, but yeah, see, uh, I don't, I thought he th- thrived in that role. I agree. I, I enjoyed his time here in the UWF on commentary. I was not a big fan of his, anytime they would plug him in, in WCW. It didn't work for me. Uh, it certainly wasn't a, a fan of the Doc Hendricks character doing commentary either later on in the WWF, but his stuff here in the UWF is uh, a very different animal. I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to it. But, you know, I don't have a, a, a real answer because I wasn't there and I don't know. But it almost feels like it was like you said, they kind of just tried him out because, remember, they tried Jay Smith out. Bill, Bill Watts keeps filling in. They tried Joel Watts out once upon a time. That didn't really work out. A little green. It's we knew Jim Ross. We were getting Jim Ross. It was a revolving door until Michael Hayes got there. So I, I'm feeling like you know I, I, the stories always are that Bill Watts didn't really want Hayes in the ring anyway. So it it could have been his idea, Bills, to put Hayes in that spot. But they had to give him a tryout, right? He had to be good at it in order to keep that spot. Yeah, and it wasn't just that he was good. That it was also to me that he gelled well with Ross. Yes, you know because. As a fan, and, and you know, I, I might have a little bit different perspective because I used to do play-by-play for an indie league here. Like, it makes me appreciate the good announcers because they are the conduit, you know? You can have an amazing match and have a rotten commentator, and it just ruins it. Or oh, you absolutely. can have a mediocre match with the right commentator, and they, they, can they enhance say it. the right things. They, right. they uh, 
you know, they can make it come to life. And it's just, it's it, to me, commentating is a very underrated aspect of getting a product over. And, oh, and Hayes and Ross together, I thought were just phenomenal. Yeah, you need somebody to tell the story, not not visually, but audibly. And, I, you know, they, they did a really good job together. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed them. So one more match here on Power Pro, a throwback next to the New Orleans Municipal Auditorium, the Rock and Roll Express taking on the Freebirds, Gordy and Roberts here, Michael Hayes in their corner. Apparently this match never aired before in the States, only in Japan, they say on commentary. As we see another fun match shown start to finish this week, great finish sees Robert Gibson have Buddy Roberts hooked in a reverse cradle, but the referee distracted, allowing Terry Gordy to run in, hook Gibson up to the air, for what looked like it was supposed to be a power bomb, but Gibson didn't seem to know how to take it, and it wound up looking more like a, a kneeling pile driver. Either way, nasty spot, and the Freebirds steal that win, nine minutes and thirty seconds. The Freebirds defeating the Rock and Roll Express right here on UWF TV. Free TV to see two Hall of Fame teams, you know, go at it, and right. wow, <laughs> and get a finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's something else, you know, to get a finish, and you know, like I said. A few minutes ago about losing, you know, doesn't have to hurt your career. The Rock and Roll Express went on to do just fine, and they lost on TV. They certainly did. As uh, we get ready to wrap up this edition of Regional Wrestling Roman, just want to run through the next Sam Houston Coliseum show for May the 9th, if you have the time. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so apparently only 2,500 fans out here to the Coliseum this time as uh, Houston, Texas a joint show for those who don't know, Bill Watts, Peter Burkholz, and Paul Bosch by this point were all partners in this uh, venture in the Houston Territory. On the undercard, it's Brett Sawyer over Gustavo Mendoza again. Sawyer scoring a drop kick off the middle rope and then a body block and a hot opener. That match is indeed out there. You guys can try to find it. Also on the undercard, Rick Steiner over Tracy Smothers. Kamala defeating Dave Peterson. Chavo Guerrero over Rick Steiner. So we've already seen Chavo down Buzz Sawyer in past matches, now defeating his protege Rick Steiner here. Speaking of the Mad Dog, up next, UWF TV title matchup. Buzz Sawyer, Rick Steiner going to stay ringside to accompany Buzz for this matchup. Going to take on Coco Beware here. And it is the Mad Dog battling the Birdman to a 30-minute time limit draw in a hell of a match. And a great tease as the time ticked down. Looked like Coco might get the pin. Both guys beat each other into a mess, going for drop kicks at the same time. Great spot back in those days. That, that was what was so good about Buzz Sawyer. He could work any style with anyone, any size, and have a great match. And this match was just so good for anyone who has that Houston UWF video set. You know what I'm talking about, Roman. I'll try to throw this one up on my YouTube, but I was very impressed with his Buzz Sawyer Coco Beware time limit draw. You know, and we had alluded to the fact that back then Coco was an underrated performer and everything, mm -hmm. but looking back now, you know, all these years later, it's hard to picture, you know, where the careers ended up, the arc of their careers. Right. Kind of hard to picture Coco going to a 30-minute draw with Buzz Sawyer because, sure. you know, I look back, even though Coco's a WWE Hall of Famer, you know, we can laugh and joke about that, but I look at Buzz Sawyer in the grand scheme of things as a much better and talented performer than Coco. So just, just visually, it's hard for me all these years later to look back at Coco holding him to a draw. Yeah. Knockdown drag out. I mean, well, you always hear the stories about, yes, we all know Haku, one of the toughest, if not the toughest 
of all times. Ronnie Garvin could hold his own as well. But you always hear stories, too, of Coco Beware being a tough scrapper, man, when a, when a real fight broke out. He could get the job done, and that's kind of what he did here. It's a real fight. It's Buzz Sawyer. And these guys were really laying it in. It was really exciting, really fun to watch. And somewhere in there, man, because I agree with you, when the match gets going, it's, uh, it's just Coco. But no, and no offense to Coco, but it's Buzz Sawyer, right? But as the match gets going, they start telling the story, and you're watching Coco lay it in and Buzz take those bumps. You're hooked. It didn't matter who it was or where they were on the card, you know, in the future years in the WWF and things. It was just a really great fight. It, it was like, okay, well, that stuff, you know, down the line, that's fake. But this year, this felt real. Right. And, and that goes to show you that not everything Vince touches turns to gold. You know, because when people think of Coco, they think oftentimes the guy that jobbed on TV every week right. or whatever, yeah. you know. And But he was good enough where they could have done a little more with him. But it's just kind of funny. You see him at one point in the UWF, like, yeah, this guy's good. Then you see him in the WWF, and it's like, well, he gained weight. He was losing every week on TV. It just it's just interesting. It was it was almost kind of like he had two different careers. Yeah, he became the guy with the bird, guy with the macaw. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, we've we've talked to death about people that only knew Terry Taylor's the Red Rooster. They would laugh in our face if we told them, like, no, he used to be a good, credible performer. Right. Yeah. That really hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It's hurt some careers, that's for sure, especially the smaller guys. Uh, but I'm going to try to close this up, wrap this up for you guys. We've got three more matches here in Houston, one of them being Dr. Death, Steve Williams, teaming with Ted DiBiase, finally back from all Japan. Doc and DiBiase defeating the team of Sting and the Ultimate Warrior, Rock and Sting, the Blade Runners. And how do you like that? DiBiase returns from Japan, wrestling the likes of Tenru and Jumbo Sharuda to the Blade Runners. Talk about a change in style really quick. Yeah, and, and it's a fun match just for nostalgia's sake. I mean, at that point in time, I guarantee you nobody thought Sting and Warrior would be future world heavyweight right, champions, right. you know? So when you look back now, you know, Doc and DiBiase, legendary tag team, and they went against two world champions that were green as grass, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of fun to to go back in the time machine and watch that for nostalgia. Certainly, if you, if you stick everybody in their primes and you look at it that way, you know, there's it's, it's salivating to see the warrior and Sting take on, you know, the, 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 the real man, if you will, and Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Ted DiBiase, one of the greatest wrestlers to ever get it done, but it just didn't look like that, not in 1986. Yeah, you know, which is... Which which is fun. I always get a kick out of seeing guys at the beginning of their stages and see where they where they ended up. And I I don't know. I, I've always kind of like marked out for stuff like that to see before they made it big, so to speak. You know, to see a a rock as a flex cavana or you know something like sure. that. It, it's fun to see that. So uh, as this tag team match breaks down into a four way melee late in the matchup, DiBiase scooping Sting up for his power slam, but manager Eddie Gilbert running in, drop kicking the back of Sting sending Sting down on top of Teddy, but DiBiase using the momentum to roll back over on top of Sting and get the one, two, three here. May have been the runner's first loss, if I'm not mistaken here in the Mid-South. I mean, maybe they've lost before. I'm not sure uh, without going and digging back in the results, but first time I've noticed the Blade Runners taking a tag team loss here. Match went about eight and a half minutes. Even though they... Tried to make you think, you know, like Ross on commentary on, on one match talked about a Sting and Warrior or Blade and Rock should have been in the Crockett Cup or whatever, but they weren't shown prominently on TV, you know, every right. week. So right. that probably was the first time we did get to see them actually lose, you know, when they did show them, it was against the Perry Jackson or somebody like that. So sure. you knew they were going to win. 
<laughs> couple more matches here, guys, including six-man tag team action. Fantastics teaming with Terry Taylor, battling the Sheepherders and Jack Victory to a double disqualification in a wild brawl inside and outside the ring, blood flowing everywhere, literally all six men, leading to a post-match interview on Houston television. Terry Taylor and the Fantastics, they want revenge. They want a rematch, Roman. Any stipulation that'll keep the Herders and Victory in the ring. I wrote, hmm, can't wait for that one. Thanks to Power Pro, we actually get to see a barbed wire match. And and that was not something you got to see a, no. a lot. You know, you did the normal TV episodes, you did not get to see stipulation matches like that. You know, you weren't going to see a first blood match on TV. You know, or, so to see a barbed wire was like, whoa, this is different. Yeah, when Dusty got the itch every once in a great while, they may book a quote-unquote barbed wire match down there in Crockett, but we never saw that in Vince McMahon world. So to get one, and oh, the one that it was here with the six-man upcoming, wow, it really paid off. Vince was saving it for the uh, mud pin match with the Godwins or whatever it was called, you know, the mud bath match. <laughs> the hog or pin whatever. match. Whatever. Yeah, the hog pin match. There you go. You can you can shoot me for this if you want, Roman. But that's that psychology and the bumps in that match. That was actually a pretty good match for what it was. Triple H and Henry Godwin. I like both those guys, and I thought they made the best of that match. I got to be honest. It's been a hundred years since I've seen that match, and uh, you, you're you're very credible. So I'll take your word on it. I've st- I've stood by it for years. I've had to go. I went back and watched it when I started call- covering the the Monday warfare show covering the Monday night war. I would always watch the pay-per-views as well to kind of get an idea of, you know, everything that was going on. And I said in that show, that specific show, that December 95 in your house, I think it was December is on my Patreon right now. You guys can go listen to the watch along version of that show. I just, I think it was a a good, good match, but uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to go back and watch it again. It might be fun to check out. Uh, we're going to close out this Houston show here. Main event, North American heavyweight champion Hacksaw Jim Duggan with Coco Beware in his corner. Going to counteract Eddie Gilbert in the corner of his opponent, challenger, Corsita Korchenko. And it is Duggan scoring the win here over Korchenko. Korchenko trying a sneak attack on Hacksaw while Duggan was busy with hot stuff on the apron. But Jim saw it coming, turned around. And no, for once, the heels did not collide. It was Duggan simply blasting Korchenko with a big clothesline and scoring the win. Wanted to make this one definitive. So Duggan pinning the evil Russian. And I wrote, is the feud over that fast? Gosh, I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah. If Gilbert wanted a real Russian, he should have he hit me up. I'm friends with Colonel Nanuchka from the original Glow. I think she could have been better competition for uh, Duggan. Well, there you go. That, well... Too late now. Can't go back in time and rewrite history, but that would have been very interesting. (laughs) But uh, no, very, very cool. Good stuff, guys. We wrapped up another two weeks here. We're into the month of May now, Roman. Feels good to move along. I know you've been super busy at work. I I can't seem to get Every time I get over being sick, I seem to catch something else. But I I had to get this in, and uh, I'm just so happy we were able to get together, and I had a lot of fun here today. Yeah, I am too. You know, this bout at work, you know, been long hours and a little stressful and it was fun just to relax and talk old school wrestling. I'm glad you're, you're not out of the woods, but I am glad you're getting better. You know, I, I can't imagine pneumonia and dealing with that. That, that doesn't sound like fun, but, uh, it was, yeah, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk wrestling with you. I'm glad we were able to do this. This, this is a good start to the morning. So good to have him back, Roman Gomez, one more time. And then the next time we come to you guys, we're going to see more talent debuting here in the UWF throughout the month of May and into the summer 
1986 as well. Remember the Freebirds now back in the Universal Wrestling Federation as well. That could lead to some very interesting things very soon. Oh, and it will. It will. It is gonna get. It is gonna get really good. Business is about to pick up, as good old Jr. would say. Jim Ross would say business is about to pick up, and Cowboy Bill Watts would say, "Let's hook him up." And that's indeed exactly what's going to happen as we continue on here with the UWF in nineteen eighty six. One last time, Roman. Thank you so much for being here again this week. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody out there, for being patient with us and giving us your support. And uh, we we hope you keep listening. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up here this week. More territory era goodness around the corner. Want to thank Roman Gomez once again. He'll be back soon with more of this UWF 86 goodness. But next time out, guys, special guest Jamie Ward returning to the show to talk more Georgia Championship Wrestling 1981. And until then, this is Ray Russell. You can follow me on Twitter, the lovely X, at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more regional wrestling, where we talk the territories.